Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. There's all kinds of family. We chose this one. This is episode 122, Fast Five, Lap 7. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Too. And this episode is brought to you by Memory Safe X. Make your memories safe forever. Are you sick of seeing that annoying storage full error come across your phone screen when you're trying to take a photo or video? Or are you tired of trying to update your phone only for it to tell you that you need to free up space first? Memory Safe X is just what you need. Shout out to Memory Safe X. Well, what an important sponsor for an episode about a safe being dragged through Rio. Maybe it just, what if like the safe was a proverbial safe that just like, I'm trying to think of like a metaphor where a phone, because if, if Memory Safe X is like an app, right? But like the yeah. streets no, of no, Rio. No, no, it's, it's, it's a flash drive. Oh, okay. So imagine how much, how big the phone would have to be if that's the size of the flash drive. Oof. Maybe Memory Safe X was the chip in the car. Ooh, that makes sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. Yeah. Well, welcome to Fast Five, Lap 7. After the break, we will be joined once again by Nico and Kevo to talk about Fast Five, see if they think it is Avengers-esque in style and quality and so on and so forth. But Joe, extracurricular activities. Once again, for the second time we're doing this, it's been a week since we last did it because we dropped our surprise Budget Boys episode on Tuesday. So Joe, what have you been up to in this last week? Chilling, cooking like normal baking oh you know what we made like baking wise that was awesome i don't think i saw pictures i don't know what is it no i didn't send you pictures of this it was a surprise we talked about this before i fucking love like fast food chains and like regional ones and things like that right Mm -hmm. one of the ones that i love a lot is pizza hut we live in you know like a great pizza place but I have this like nostalgia craving for Pizza Hut all the time. They wiped like all the Pizza Huts out of Connecticut. There's like there's not one within like 30 minutes of us. Okay. And I'm not driving 30 Actually, minutes to get Pizza while Hut. While you talk, I'm gonna figure out. I don't know where a Pizza Hut is near. I'm sure there's one near me, but I don't know. But go on. I was jonesing for Pizza Hut, specifically the breadsticks. Right. That's like the the holy grail of why you go to Pizza Hut. The Pizza Hut pizza is like it's good. You know, you get a pan pizza. It's like. It's decent. The breadsticks are like, that's where it's fucking at. I made it. I had a whole bunch of pizza dough that I made from last week. And I have like the Lloyd's pan, like the pan for the pan pizzas now. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Rachel, let's look up like how we, you know, make breadsticks. Like I didn't make like breadstick dough, but like I already had pizza dough. And I was like, let's just put like the thing on it. So she made the like seasoning that you put on top of them. And pretty much you just like coat the pan in just tons of butter, right? That you makes, like put the bottom sense. in butter, yep. the top in butter, and then you add butter after they're done. They were fucking incredible. They were really, really good. Tasted just like them. I mean, like, a little bit different, like, texture-wise and stuff like that. Yeah, the seasoning was dead on, so I was happy with that. That's the thing that we made this week that was, like, a standout in my head. Pizza Hut update near me. I forgot that there is a Pizza Hut Express in the Target near me. I hate those. That doesn't count, though, I, d- Yeah, there's a Pizza Hut... It looks like 10 or 15 minutes away. I don't exactly, like, I know roughly where it is, but I don't remember ever seeing it, but it's not too far. Like, I, all you know, growing up in New Jersey, good pizza's always been around, so I've never yeah. had to, so we always just had, like, a pizzeria pizza. When we moved to Texas, my sister and I were like, oh, let's just find, we, I, kind of, I think we kind of just tried a bunch of them. There's some Texas local ones, there's some national ones, whatever. We just settled on Domino's, it was the closest, and we liked that yeah. one. I remember one night, yeah, my, my sister, we, we wanted to get pizza, but she also wanted breadsticks, I was like, all right, I'm just gonna, like, go do both. Like, I had to go, like, two different directions but i got both she's like oh, how did you do i'm like just go to two places but like yeah i never i never really had that pizza hut nostalgia because i don't remember i probably you had do pizza, book it pizza as a kid do you know book it oh is that like the coupon books book it was this thing that was like in a bunch of schools that you would do book reports 
And oh. like once a month, your teacher would give you a coupon and you'd get a free pan pizza. And then you got a pin and you'd get like stars on your pin. And if you filled up your pin, you traded it for like a prize. No, we never did that in school. Like our local library, like our, our county library chain did stuff like that over the summer to encourage reading over the summer and stuff like that. But I never had any of those in school. So yeah, yeah I, I also don't know like around me where a pizza hut would have been it probably would have been like 20 minutes away from where my parents where i grew up right so i don't know pizza was never like in my life until i sort of you know moved to a place where there wasn't a whole lot of actual good pizza down in austin so yeah i think it was the marketing you know marketing towards children so then i remember it as a kid and then like i would want it and then like i would be at my grandparents house and i'd be like can we get pizza hut because there was like one kind of near them from that moment on it just reminds me of like being a small child and my grandparents it's right like it's not so much that like i want the pizza but that's it's just the nostalgia attachment to it right if it was around you like is it the kind of thing where because we talked about this i think with white castle not too long ago where it's like i don't really like white castle but every once in a while i go get white castle i'm just like oh yeah this is fine and like but it's like scratches that itch every six months or whatever so like if you had a pizza hut in your town i know you live around good pizza but like would you get it a lot or just like one of those like every once in a while i like making my own now i like little caesars because it's really cheap if i have like a party and a bunch of people were over but if we did have one. Like, they've closed them in Connecticut since I've moved to Connecticut. And, like, I would get it, like, once every six months, right? I'd be like, oh, tonight, like, I want Pizza Hut. And I would just, like, eat it and be like, okay, I'm good for a while. Cool. Like, that's pretty much it. So aside from your Pizza Hut at home, what else have you been up to the last week? Anything of Oh, the other cool thing, you know, as we've been going through quarantine, I've been trying to make Rachel watch, like, movies that I love mm-hmm. that are classic movies that she hasn't seen yet. So we watched two great movies this week that she hasn't seen I know about at least yet. one of them. You know about at least one of them, and one of them was Karate Kid. Which Wes won't shut up about Cobra Kai, which I will get to, <laughs> but I have not gotten to yet. So you watched Karate Kid. Did she like that? Yes, she did. Actually, um, Adam messaged us, like, Adam, my friend Adam messaged us this morning and was like, hey, guys, did you see Netflix, like, has Cobra Kai on it? I was like, brother, we already got our friend west telling us all about it like don't worry yeah but but he like just said it this morning and i was like i was actually gonna send it to west and be like look that's one of those movies actually like i mean i don't want to compare it to dude where's my car but like dude where's my car where it's like i'm pretty sure actually no maybe the, maybe that's not the best comparison but i'm pretty sure i've seen that but also i don't karate know kid. that i've seen it yeah karate kid because like i feel like it's the kind of thing where like it's so permeated into culture that like i know all of the beats and if i have seen it start to finish it hasn't been since i was like real little right so yep. whenever i do get into cobra kai i'm going to want to at least the first two was the jaden smith one do you know is it the third one or is it the fourth one there's like three a spinoff and then the jaden smith one okay because there is the first one and then there's the one is hillary swank in the second one i don't know i i like i only ever watched the first one as a kid i might have seen the second one like at a friend's house at some point it's not something that like i i watched like the first one i had remembered a lot of it and like we were talking to wes about it like i was watching with rachel and i'm like i like i remember the general structure of the story and, like, I remember the ending, but I didn't remember, like, a lot of the middle besides, like, the big beats because I saw it when I was a kid. Right. So watching it again was great. And um, okay. she obviously loved it. She was like, this is probably, like, one of the best movies I've seen in a while. I, she sees why it's such a classic, right? And okay. she was like, yeah. Like, we both, like, cried a little bit. We really enjoyed it. So that was, like, the first one. What was the other one? That what was the other big one that she had never seen before? We watched it last night, and I think that you'll be pretty proud, Mr. Tom Tom Club. It was Forrest Gump. Oh, Rachel's I don't like that movie seen... at all. You don't like Forrest Gump? No. Why not? It's a very weird episode so we had 
I don't remember. Has he been on this show? I think he's been on this show. We had Austin Wolf Southern on the show, right? Yes, 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 yes. So yes. he was on that show, that episode with us, because he had never seen it before. Because, like, generally, when somebody's on an episode of the TomTom Tom Club, I'm just like, hey, why did you sign up for this one? Because it's not like, like, what we do here is a little bit different. For people who haven't listened to the other shows that either you and I have done or that Mike and I do, whatever, we just sort of put out a thing like, hey, here's the 50 movies that Tom Cruise has been in, here's the 60 that Tom Hanks has been in, whatever. Yeah. Like, just sign up for everything you want, and we'll just sort of dole them out, right? So generally, when I ask someone when you're on, like, for instance, like, if you, like, I think you signed up for Jack Reacher, but couldn't make it, but be like, well, why'd you sign up for this one? Be like, oh, because I'm from Pittsburgh, it takes place, blah, blah, blah. like, just like, exactly. there's context to it, right? For Forrest Gump, we had Austin on, we're like, hey, why did you sign up for this one? He's like, I've never seen it. And me and Mike were like, wait, what? Like, how, how is that possible? Like, not <laughs> only is too, it just yep. Forrest Gump that, like, everyone has seen, but, like, Austin, and also to the same extent, sort of like Rachel like sees a lot of movies and it's like how did you just like I get it sort of where it's like maybe but you know I don't I just don't think it's good I don't think it I don't think it oh I love it it's almost worth listening to that episode just because we're like I don't like what do you say about like it's just a weird movie yeah yeah it's it's a classic movie everybody's seen it what do you say about Forrest Gump other than rewatching it it's another movie I haven't seen in a long time but I I love and she had never seen it and it's really good and I tweeted it my thought watching it this time was just that because we've done, you know, boyfriend material, that Forrest Gump is just a better version of The Notebook to me. It's like the same like layout as The Notebook. Sacrifice Rachel McAdams. Rachel was really mad that Jenny was like not her favorite character. <laughs> she was like she's being a dumb whore the whole time. Her words, not mine. It's just like the same layout though, and I like Forrest Gump much better as a protagonist. And I'm trying to remember because I kind of blocked it out also because we've probably recorded like between this show and other Tom Tom I've probably done like a hundred or more podcasts since then I feel like there's not really a narrative to it it's just like hey look it's 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 recognition of America in a movie it's just like yes. oh look he's also involved in this and, like that's not a story it's just like let's put him in places let's put him in times it's like okay but yeah. like to what end and like it's Americana in like both good and bad ways I also I mean even taking out the whole like able-bodied, playing a disabled, you know, playing a slow, you know what I mean? Like a mentally Yeah, I wasn't even bringing that up. It's just like a whole, like, iffy, like, I know that he won Best Actor and whatever, whatever, but, like, there's a lot of things about it I'm just like, oh, this doesn't, it just doesn't work for me as a movie. And I also think, independent of everyone else loving it, I feel that way. But then also to add to the fact that, like, people are like, oh, my God, my favorite movie. Like, I love, how do you not love Forrest Gump? It's like, well, I just like it makes me more critical of it even more. But like even like yeah. taking my my film snobbery like that aside, I just don't know that it works narratively or is like interesting. It's just like a hey, like he's just running through time. It's like oh, <laughs> like literally, right? It's just like oh, okay. it is. I like the simplicity of it. I get that. I like the movie. I could see why people wouldn't like it. So it doesn't bother me. I'm not like offended. Like there's some movies that you tell me you don't like, and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right? Right. Like yeah. we've had these conversations. But like Forrest Gump isn't one of them. Like, it's, I think it's objectively well-made. It just doesn't work for me, like, on any level. It's just, totally like, I don't, I don't enjoy watching it. But, like, technically and acting-wise and everything, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I can see why people would like it. But that was one where I was worried. Like, Mike and I were kind of, like, I was like, I don't know what Mike thinks about this. I don't know what Austin's going to think about this. And we're like, oh, none of us really know how to talk about this. Because <laughs> you didn't know how to talk about it because none of you liked it? Or was it just, it's like, just you because it's like a, it's a weird thing. It's just, like, a weird experience. I don't know. It's, yeah, none of us really liked it, but it's also, we sort of talk about how, like, with comedies like it's hard to talk about comedies it's like do you just repeat jokes but like this is just like exactly do you just talk about moments like oh yeah this he was, was with elvis say. okay yeah watergate that was forrest yeah. Gump. like yeah i get it that you're right if you were trying to talk about the movie like other than being like oh it looks beautiful and like the acting's good right then it's like what's the there's no plot i mean there is a plot but it's like a three sentence thing 
because yeah. it's just him being another shit. So yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Just a, it's a weird thing because yeah, that that kind of kicks off. Well, that's like in the start of because he had this run from like ninety two to like two thousand one ish. Where just like he's not it's not exclusively like great movies, but it's exclusively like the biggest movies of all time. And he's okay. on a stretch where it's like that and Philadelphia, which you won an Oscar for, and like Saving Private Ryan and two Toy yeah. Story movies, and like yeah. there's like and like Apollo thirteen. Like there's like a literally a dozen movies like in that decade. I honestly or so. forgot that he's in Apollo thirteen. Yeah. Wow. Oh, the Green Mile. Like all these movies that are oh. like these massive massive movies mike and i have talked about like doing podcasts just of actors that we again we've sort of talked about this too like doing one about actors that we like that we want to see their movies and like we kind of expected this to be all great things we'd love talking about and like a lot of it just like yeah he's good like i don't know he's good in it like i don't know what there is to say about it like yeah he just and i think that's the bigger issue that i kind of have with hanks memories it's like yeah, like he's a good actor. Like there's not they're anything not thought provoking films yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he's just like, oh, he nailed his part. But did Rachel like Forrest Gump? I mean, aside from the Jenny angle, she did. She she enjoyed it. She said she didn't know how she hadn't seen it, and it kind of reminded me about what you were saying about like Karate Kid. Yeah, she was like, it's one of those things where she like knew all the beats to it, but she was like, I and she's like, I can't remember seeing it, and I would have remembered if I saw something that wasn't it. I just knew the like the trope of it. Like I think so. it was one for me that I had to like. See seek out i don't think i saw it like in school i think i had to when i was watching college where i was just like let me just see everything i haven't seen like i think it was one of those like i didn't it feels like the kind of movie that everybody just like kind of comes across at one point right but like i feel like i feel like my parents played it for me when i was like seven or eight or mm-hmm. something you know what i mean like yeah. kind of early kind of not like once you get beyond children's movies right right it was like one of those movies that was like on tv and my parents were like oh we can watch this tonight and you'd be like oh man cool yeah like because yeah. there, there's stuff in there that like kids shouldn't like i mean you know jenny dies of aids right but like spoiler but i guess people know <laughs> like i feel like it's all kind of like hidden with like this gloss or this sheen of just americana in general just like oh like exactly. you know an eight-year-old could see it and not understand what they're seeing, right? So, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Because it's told through Forrest Gump's eyes, who's pretty much seeing the world as an eight-year-old anyways. Yes. So, he's like, yeah, like, this guy, like, was singing and dancing, and, like, I met this guy. And, like, if you don't know who Elvis is and you don't connect the dots in your head, you're just like, oh, he danced with this guy. Cool. Yep. Anything else of note in the past week? That was it. That was a long thing of nonsense, but that's what I've been up to. How about you, brother? What are you up to? This weekend, as we're recording, so this past weekend as this comes out, was, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, like, the theatrical releases that went straight to VOD, but this was definitely, I think, the first one I was, like, super excited. I mean, we had Bloodshot, but I was, like, I was excited about it, but I wasn't really super excited about Bloodshot. Sorry, Vin. Um, I mean, I enjoyed the movie for what it was. Go listen to that episode. This weekend, uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, Bill and Ted 3 came out. Mike and I did that with Kara, past whole lap boat two you know mike had a whole lap kara had a whole lap yeah both uh, when we did keanu club kara was on both of those there's an animated series and so i rewatched the first two movies this weekend and i watched the third one this morning and the third one made me cry and like in just like a a happy like the same the same kind of fast and furious just like music is uplifting and like it just it ah, man it's just like happy tears at the end and like i wouldn't say that bill and ted is like my favorite keanu movie or like it's it's top 10 or 15 ish but like i just there's something about it i'm just like yeah no this is this is kind of weirdly magical in a way so i That's recommend awesome. it so and also recommend it was good i mean it's it starts slow 
but then I'm it a fan gets of the original. Good. I like the the first Bill and Ted. I so I when we watch it the first time, Kara, Mike, and I weirdly all like Bogus Journey more. Why? We all like the first one, and then we like Bogus Journey more. I don't remember exact reasons because this is now four and a half years ago. When I rewatched them this weekend, I still really like Bogus Journey, but I I liked it a little bit less, and I liked Excellent Adventure a little bit more. This I would say is probably like slightly above the second one. Um, what I think this one does really well is because it takes place in modern day, and so there are the princesses that they marry, so they're in here, played by new actresses again, because they're different in every movie. Okay. And then they have daughters, uh, played by Samara Weaving, and this girl, I don't remember her name, Brigitte, some, let's see here, Brigitte Lundy-Payne, who's been in a bunch of stuff lately. Uh, they play the daughters, and so the movie is not just about Bill and Ted, but also about the princesses, also about the daughters, and like this is cool, like, That's cool. lots of things going on, which I thought, I thought worked really well. Um, the exciting thing is that we're going to have a Keanu Club episode this week about it. Mike is going to do a third Time to Charm episode about it this week. And also, Brian on High School Slumber Party is going to put out the episode, I think, on Friday about the first movie. So lots of Bill, Bill and Ted's content coming this week, which I'm very excited about. That's very cool. I remember watching the first one, loving it. I showed Rachel it rec- like, recently within the past couple of years because she had never seen it before. She liked it. But I never made her watch the second one because the only part that I remember... Like, I remember watching the second one, them, like, falling... Yeah. And they're like, can we play 20 questions? Are you a mineral? Yes. Are you a tank? Yeah. And that joke just like so broke my brain with like how upsetting it was for me. I was just like, this doesn't click. And that's the only part I remember about that movie. And like, I think that I stopped watching at that point. Oh, no. I mean, that's only like 20, 20 minutes in. Like, that's really early in. Yeah. I was like, nope. Like, I was like, I can't do this. It was like the age I was at. And like, it still like resonates with me. I'm like... That was a really fucking stupid joke. And I love dumb jokes. But movies. it's also just, I mean, that's them. Like, they're just really I dumb. Know. They're sweet dummies. Like, that's just who they are. Again, like, I don't remember exactly why, but I remember all of us being like, oh, wait, you, we all liked it more? Weird. Okay. There's a lot of funny, like, death played by William Sadler in the second movie is very, very good. He comes back in the third one. There's really good stuff in the second one. I think the first one, there's a second one for a reason, because the first one is really, really good and really 80s and really goofy and wonderful. But the second one has a lot of fun stuff stuff and i don't know that you can really compare it to the first one but i think it's worth seeing and the, the third one is really good too so i would say check them out if you want to break your brain i guess with uh, 20 questions again yeah like i have the first one like down like i totally remember the first one the second one i'd have to rewatch before i watch the third one and i don't know if i can bring myself to do that for that so i don't actually really i don't know that you need to watch the second one really um i think you could probably watch the third one independent Blind. I think so. I think so. They do a little bit of a catch-up, because, I mean, it's it's literally been almost 30 years since Bogus yeah. Journey, right? So, like, they know that they're going to have to catch some people up. This is going to be an introduction for a lot of people. I would say check it out. I mean, it's still, it's expensive. Like, it's, you know, Mike and I each bought it. 25 is a lot to spend on a movie, but, you know, I wanted to support them, and, no, again, it's not we've bad. said it. 25. You know, D2C, like, you know, F- Fast 9, give it to us. Let me, let me give you $25. Let me own that movie digitally. Please, please, please. I agree. Yeah, let us do it. Also, I've been playing a bunch of video games. I started, uh, I played a puzzle game called Manifold Garden, which was like in development forever. It came to Apple Arcade a while ago, and now it's on like Xbox and PlayStation. It's a lot of fun if you want to kind of break your brain with weird puzzles. And then I also started The Last of Us Part 2, widely considered like best games of the generation. But the other thing is I had some uh, some socially distance and some bubble friends hangout time, which was good because I haven't really seen anybody in like forever. And it was nice to actually see people in real life, which I uh, good, man. appreciated. Yeah. That's awesome. Joe, we have a Patreon page here in the show, Too Fast, Too Forever.com. Shout out to Cassie Wilson, Jake Freer, Ben Milliman, Nick Burris, Alex Ellenin, Justin Kleinman, Brian Rodriguez of High School Slumber Party. 
Haley Gerby's Wes Hampton, Christian Larson, Jerry Robinson, and Dan the Duke Hayden for supporting us at the $5 level or above. Thank you all so very much. It is. If you want access to the quiz, to the Fast and Furious Minute document, to bonus things, we are talking about how to sort of, when we get to the 20 patron level, what we're going to do bonus-wise. Some fun stuff coming there, but not there yet. But too fast, too forever.com. Even a dollar a month gets you access to most of this stuff. So check it out, check it out. True. And we have an email address here on the show, family at cageclub.me. And Joe, we've got a bunch of emails. Well, a bunch, a bunch is... So Nick sent a bunch of emails that I'm going to kind of read sort of as one. And there's yeah. a couple other emails beyond that. But let me go through Nick's emails first. Okay. He says, first one, are you ready for the surprise? Ha 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 ha. It is the real Nick. Yes, it is. LOL. Put up, Nick. How are you doing, bud? Is that a reference to something that we know? Or is that not a reference to something that we know? I was thinking like the real Slim Shady, if I had to guess anything. It says, first off... I'm a little disappointed that you did not get the number that Brian dialed to track Dom. Figured you could use the tones. LOL, just kidding. Overkill, but it would have been funny. Yeah, in the minute. That makes yes. sense. Says, RoboCop I somehow never watched, but I thought it was a good movie. The CGI I thought was subpar compared to Terminator, but maybe we need to watch the first one again. Sometimes we remember them better than they were, right? I think so, and I also think that they're going for different things. Like, RoboCop is going for, like cheesy pulpy stuff and terminator's trying to go for realism right like yeah i don't know i think you i think it's fair to compare them but i don't know if it's a direct comparison really makes it's not exactly the best one-to-one comparison i don't think and also at the time that's a time when like cgi type stuff was like vastly different based on like the the studio that's like doing it or like the group Mm -hmm. that's doing it because it's like it's not to the point where like now it's all so good that like it's crispy no matter what. Like, the differences between them aren't very great, right? Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, back then, there could be huge differences between them, even if they came out in very similar times. The prototype robot reminded me of the second Terminator at Skynet. He says, it was also cool to see Red in it, too. And True. the Taurus cop card made me laugh. My first car was a hand-me-down Taurus wagon. Oh, nice. Nice. Now, back to the minute. I wonder if Vince has a CDL, like commercial commercial driver's license. It says, Ooh. where did he learn to drive a semi? It's definitely not a jump-in-and-drive type of vehicle. Plus, containers are not owned by the trucking company himself, so the name on the side is false, but it says Rogers on the door. The containers are marked with the manufacturer, and the frame or chassis is a separate piece. Uh, yeah, so it makes, that makes sense. Expertise. Yep, mm-hmm. But I never thought about it, but yeah, that makes sense. Says Total Recall, I saw once. I always loved Arnold's one-line, two-meaning quotes like, screw you, in this movie, where he yeah. gets killed by the screw, but also screw you. Mm-hmm. And in Commando, where he drops the bad guy off a cliff, and he told the girl he let him go. I like those two. Puns are always fun. Talk about the hologram, I think also in Total Recall. It says, it reminded me sort of of a fast connection in Skyscraper, the movie with The Rock. It's a room of programmable mirrors, where he kind of did the same thing. Oh, interesting. I've been trying to get Rachel to watch... Um... Enter the Dragon or Game of Death. I forget which whichever one has like the room full of mirrors. Like the rooms of mirrors have been done in a lot of like John Wick Two does room mirrors. The End of the Guest does room of mirrors. I think it's all a nod to the Bruce Lee movie, right? Probably. I think it's also. I mean, I don't know. I I guess that was that the first one, probably. Probably. I don't know. You were talking about Good Cops and Gone in sixty seconds. We're talking about Timothy Oliphant. He said he played a U.S. Marshal in Justified, an awesome show. I feel wasn't as popular as it should have been. Well, Nick, stay tuned. In this episode, Nico and I talk a little bit about different Timothy Oliphant shows about him being offered the role of Vin or Dom. Hello, being offered the role of Dom, and then. Santa Clarita Diet and Deadwood and everything. So in this episode, stay tuned for that. Yeah, and you said you like Justified, right? Didn't you watch Love it? Love it, yeah. Do love yeah. it. He says, okay, time to get cracking to finish Crossroads. Catch you later. Four Horsemen, Nick, out. And then he sends, what an episode. Holy moly, awesome. Made me want to play the game all over again. Awesome. Good. Yeah, dude, we were super stoked about the Andy episode, man. Yeah. 
says, I thought the same thing you guys said. It was a look into what Dom and the family were doing around Hobbs and Shaw. And then he says, I think Cam may have given Tej some hacking knowledge when they were in Miami or maybe the other way around. Ooh, that's a good plot thing. Yeah, we didn't talk to Andy about that, maybe. I like that. Yeah, same. He says, I see potential in Vienna and Cam being in the movies because Andy and the company made the characters look like themselves. That would be so badass. They're in the family now, so I hope they are. We said the same thing. And it's a great Mm -hmm. place, you know, in the Letty-driven movie. We definitely could have it happen. Exactly. As you can probably tell, I'm a little excited. There's so many Easter egg teases from Andy. I got high hopes. (laughs) LOL. I hope somehow we can add the story into the lap. So this lap we're doing with Nico and Kevo, we're going to do Fast and Furious Spy Racers again. I don't know if we want to do the game every time. I mean, I guess it depends on, we could ask the, the guest each time, right? Like... Do you want to do an episode each lap about the game? Yeah, we can offer it, right? If not, we can talk about it with them at some point. Because I feel like three, three and a half hours, depends on what, if we can find like a kind of a condensed playthrough on YouTube, maybe? Like a just cut scenes playthrough? We'll have to find it. Because I also don't know if I want to do Spy Racers every lap. I mean, Nico and Kevo like specifically, explicitly asked for that. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, we'll have to see. If they, if Cam and Vienna get added then I think that it becomes canon, right? Maybe what we do, and this is, again, kind of, like, goes against my, like, rigidity of all things, but, like, when we do, like, this lap or what we're planning for next lap with one guest the entire time, maybe we do it then. But, like, I don't know that we, if we have different guests every episode, I don't know if we need to do both. Right? Good call. Yep, I agree. That's cool. I like that. So maybe this lap, maybe next lap. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, I'm going to stop now before I get carpal tunnel by emailing on my phone, Four Horsemen Nick, out. (laughs) Well, thanks for writing in, Nick. Then he says, what? I remember seeing Blue Crush a long time ago. Good movie. It was funny that all four girls took turns wearing the board shorts, and it made me smile when the quarterback said he got clocked by Warren Sapp. Number 99, baby. Plus, 2002 was one year from their Super Bowl win. Woot, woot, LOL. <laughs> and then he sent one more email, just as fast connection. She was under the hood. And I'm guessing that was in probably Blue Crush? Was she? I know she was, in, she was working on the surfboard. At the beginning, yeah. The, you know, if we miss one of those, for sure. Definitely a fast connection. Yeah, maybe wouldn't the car is like not working or something. But thank you, Nick, for writing in. Thank you for all those. And I'm glad that you enjoyed our Fast and Furious Crossroads episode. Yeah, same, brother. That's why I was trying to get you ready. I sent Nick a message before it came out, like after we did the interview with Andy, like, keep your eye out. Like, this one's going to be good because he's all excited about the game and he was talking to us about it a bunch when he was playing it. So glad it worked yeah. out good. Our next email is from Wes Hampton. Subject line, Budget Boys. What up, fam? What up, Wes? How are you doing, bud? Says, what a nice little treat to wake up and see your Budget Boys interview. These guys seem like they were a lot of fun to talk to. I know we've talked about what a fine line parody can be and it feels like in the last decade or more, popular parody has leaned real hard in a direction I don't enjoy. But I think the key to making one this entertaining is the fact that it was clearly done by people who have a love and respect of the movie, even while they're poking fun at it. Agreed, 100%. That's what we were saying to them. Like, thank you for not being savage in quotes about it, right? Yeah. Like, the internet, like, got them type feels like if you're going to talk about something try to be positive which is you know something we try to do on here too but like my big takeaway is like yeah like they're they're poking fun at fast and furious but like you don't spend two months making a thing 
just to make fun of it, right? Like, you, you do it because you want, it, like, you care about it in some weird way, right? So, yeah. like, they're making fun of it, but it's also like, no, they actually care about this, and they want it to be, in how bad it is, they want it to be good. And I also think that any time that art comes out of a passion, it is better. Yeah, Like, for generally, sure. like, you can tell, like, when a show was made because the studio told them to make this movie or this show. Like Edward Norton having a contract and being an Italian job and being like, I don't want to be here, I'm not going to try. And it's just like, God damn it, guy. Like, effort. <laughs> yes. A little bit of effort. <laughs> But also, I, I don't want to, like, take myself down a peg, but, like, I think you can hear me on, like, Hanks and the Memories versus Cruise Club, where, like, I'm, you know, I thought I was going to love both, but, like, as it went on, like, Hanks became, like, an obligation, and Cruise was like, oh, no, I'm loving this, and so yeah. I have more energy and excitement, and, like, I'm not getting paid to do either one, but it's the same thing. It's like, oh, no, like, I... Oof. There's, Agreed, it's, it's, it's easy to see when you're into something and you're just like, no, I'm just doing it because, like, yeah, it's Friday. We got another hang. So, all right, let's go. Go through the motions. Yep. Wes says, I think I know what happened to their toy helicopter because I have a similar story. Allow me to take you back to Christmas 2014. Okay. My dad's family does a white elephant gift exchange every year, and that year I ended up with one of those little toy helicopters. Okay. Our friend Sean was part of the white elephant, and I stole it from him, so he we surprised him with one for Christmas. Christmas morning came, everyone was enjoying their gifts, and Sean was playing with his helicopter in the house. It was great. Then he excitedly tells us, I want to take it outside and see how high it goes. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I already know where the... I mean, like, the see how high it goes is, like, that would have been one of the first things that I did, too, and it's never going to end well. Quick side note, the box specifically says for indoor use only. So Sean oh. goes outside, and literally 20 seconds later... He comes back in all dejected and says, well, that's gone. Same thing happened to him that happened to Kevin and Kent. He took it up. It just kept going and wouldn't come back down. We figure out later is that while the helicopter is flying, if the signal to the controller is lost, either from being out of range or the remote loses yep. power, instead of turning off, it goes into hover mode. So it won't crash and break, which makes sense. Yeah. So we took it outside on a breezy day and it quickly got out of range of the remote. And that point it's in hover mode and the wind just took it. He said it went so far, it never came back down before it disappeared. So my guess, that's what happened to their helicopter as well. It probably just wasn't as windy as it was here. So now that, I mean, they're just in the helicopter heaven in the sky or something, right? They're just where all helicopters go when they've uh, passed on. All helicopters go to heaven. There's all dogs go to heaven. There's all dogs go to heaven too. And all helicopters go to heaven. The trifecta of movies. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. That makes perfect sense though. I As soon as he said like it just went up and like, yeah, it's like the remote's going to disconnect and it doesn't want you to break it in the house, but it's never meant to go like you know, 20 feet, 30 feet above you, right? Right. So. It probably, like, is, yeah, it's probably, okay, you're in a room where it's, like, kind of vaulted ceiling, so maybe, like, 16, 18, 20 feet if you're really wealthy, and, like, beyond that, it's like, good luck, kid. Exactly, yeah. You take it to, like, your gymnasium or something, this fucker's just floating up there forever. It's like the, when you see, like, a balloon in the rafters at, like, an arena or somewhere, just like, oh, that's sad. Yeah. Like, they're just the balloon's up there for, till the helium goes away or whatever, right? So just, it's like yeah. a helicopter, though. Yeah. That's all I had to add to your discussion, says Wes. So until next time, stay furious and keep your toy helicopters indoors. We will. I don't have a toy helicopter. I have, like, a dangerous history with, like, toy remote control things. I remember, like, running, like, my mom, like, rage quitting me having RC cars for a while because I would, like, I had, like, a long hallway that you would, like, go straight from, like, the living room to the kitchen with, like, the dining room in between, but you couldn't really see straight. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I would just, like, drive it back and forth, and I would just, like, go by the sound. So, like, I would just, like, zoom it all the way into the kitchen, like, smack the wall, and then, like, turn it around and, like, drive it back into the living room. And I could, like, sit there and, like, not watch it, but, like, just do that. And I hit her with it so many times, she got so <laughs> angry about Like, cause she would be, like, go, you know, like, going in the dining room or, like, going in the kitchen, and it would just be, like, whack, and, like, hit her right in the ankle. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
damn it. And our last email, Joe, is from our newest patron, Dan Hayden, subject line, Lap 7 Games and the Budget Boys. What up, Dan? How are you doing, bud? He says, hey guys, I'm officially caught up on the current lap, and we'll be starting lap 1 sometime this week. Whew. Says, I thought having Andy on was a great get. I love video games, and even though I don't think I... Mm, I don't know where I got Southern there. I love video games, and even though I don't think I'll play this one, it was very interesting to hear a game director talk about his love for the craft, his hobbies, and his love of the movies. Nicely Same. done. It was a lot of fun to listen to. I'm glad you liked it, too. Yeah, that's what we were thinking. Like, whenever Joey and I were talking about it after we did it, we were like, even if you didn't play this game, that was a great interview because Andy's just so awesome, one. Yep. Two, like, he talks about, if you like video games at all, he talks about making a video game. If you like Fast and Furious at all, he talks about, like, his love of it and, like, what he was trying to do with the story so there's lots of cool things for everyone in there and even if you don't like games and even if you don't like the fast and furious i don't know why you would listen to that episode but like the way that you approach games especially like narrative storytelling like cutscenes, yeah. it's like the approach to writing the game is essentially the same approach to writing a movie yep. and him talking about you know developing the script and knowing the script for eight and a little bit for nine or whatever right like it's the same as if he was like making like Spy Racers or a spinoff show or something, yep. right? It says, on a previous episode, Joey was saying he recently played through Carrion. I watched a lot of the game's development, really enjoy playing in all its macabre glory. That was the game I was saying about where you play basically like a, uh, you play as the alien, you play as the creature, just wrecking shit on oh, scientists and stuff. Yes, I remember you saying this now, that's cool. He says, I've also recently been playing through some of my favorites of the last decade with games like Papers, Please, an amazing games piece of art where you play a border-crossing inspector in a fictional, dystopian, early 80s Eastern Bloc country where you're you're tasked to decide who enters the country and who's denied. I play that game. I love that game. It is... It's the kind of game where if I describe it to you... Is it hard? I'm imagining it like... Is it like a Splinter Cell type game where no, you're kind no, of no. Like okay, sneaking okay. around, or is it like very easy and it's like yes or no? It's neither of those things. So um, it's basically it? like Oregon Trail style graphics. It's a computer game, and okay. you're literally just sitting in a box. Like imagine like a toll booth, right? You're just in there, yep. and just papers, yep. please. And somebody passes along their passport. You like you like the computer scans it, and, like you're comparing the passport to like what they should be. You're seeing like oh there's like a, it's clearly like a woman but like it's like it's like not even eight bit graphics like it's even less than that sometimes and it's like it says you know it's a woman in front of you but it says gender male and like you have to reject uh. it because like it doesn't align you get graded on how many people you get wrong like if you let people into the country that you shouldn't let in but then you're also like people are like and I don't remember specifics but it's like a woman and her children's like please I just I need I can't I need to get into the country like I'm not safe and you're like oh fuck do I let her in like do I do I am I a yeah. human being or am I like a you'll get like email bulletins like as you get like farther in the game it's like you know be on the lookout for people from this city or whatever because like there is some kind of like whatever whatever yeah like it's this very kind of retro graphics thing but very cool very very good yeah so So it's more of like a matching game than anything like a puzzle game it's like puzzle it's like uh, just paying attention to details like it's kind of the type of game that you know larson loves his old kind of point and click adventures like it's closer to that than kind of anything else like really kind of retro but it came out Five or eight years ago, maybe. Duke also says, and two games from the studio subset games, FTL, Faster Than Light. He says, you manage a spaceship and its crew from a top-down perspective. Each run, you try and warp your ship from place to place, outrunning an armada of rebel ships, trying mm. to destroy the rebel flag ship. Along the way, of Star Trek-like choices. You can upgrade your ship, make new enemies and friends along the way. I have not played that game, but I had, like, that was, I think, a lot of, like, whenever it came out, like, a lot of sites had that, like, as their game of the year. Like, that's a big, big computer game from the last decade. And he says, the last is Into the Breach, a turn-based strategy game where you control time-traveling mechs. 
all with various weapons and passive abilities you have to use to outmaneuver and destroy kaiju monsters that are trying to destroy the planet. I highly recommend all three. I've not, I've not played that either, but I have that on Switch, so I should, I'll should take Duke's suggestion. Check I will play that. Yeah, Those are all like highly acclaimed kind of indie, smaller studio, which is right in my wheelhouse. Sounds I didn't good. know that Duke was that into games. I gotta talk to Duke more about games, so shout yeah, out to definitely. Duke. Yeah, definitely. He learned something new about your friend here. Says, anyway, I'm ranting. You did say we got nothing but time. Actually, no, I knew he was into games, because he wanted to do, like, he was talking about possibly doing a podcast. Like, he's been mulling over starting a podcast on the network, and like, one of his ideas was about games. I just, I just need to talk to him more about games. That's what I'm learning. Says, anyway, I'm ranting. You did say we got nothing but time but lastly briefly can't believe you got the budget boys on the show i watched the film after seeing an article about on the av club and i was so pumped to hear they were coming on it's absolutely hilarious it was cool getting an idea of who these two brilliant funny dudes are from your interview that's it for now keep up the great content i'll be listening dan well, thank you, Dan. Thank you for listening. Yeah, we're glad we got the Budget Boys, too. And it, it was. I think it was really great to get a like, look behind the curtain a little bit with them to try to figure out like what the motivations were for, for doing it. That's all the emails that we have today. If you want to email family at cageclub.me, we will read it on the next episode, whenever that is. I guess that will be this Friday for Girl Fight. So, yeah. Ooh, yeah, true. Joe, on the streets, Fast and Furious news. Is there any news that you have seen about the Fast yes. and Furious movies? I got one. Got? Jason sent it to us. There's a lot of rumors swirling around. Again, just rumors. We don't know. But the Tom Holland's going to be in Fast 10. 10, not 9. 10. Not 9. 10. Interesting. Okay. It kind of would fit. Like, when I was, like, reading it, I get granted, it's still just rumors from websites like Slash Film or whatever. I can kind of picture him being the Brian's successor. I can see that. Like, just kind of like a clean-cut, handsome, young white dude, sort of? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, like not a Brian replacement, but the successor. Right? You know, like I he, do feel like, and uh, if I were you, I would be rooting against Tom Holland, because I feel like if Tom Holland gets added, we don't get Timothy Chalamet. I know. Like, that's, they're they're proverbially, they're, like, archetypally the same character, right? Like, they're just, yeah. they're the same guy. So, like, you don't have a no. Timothy Chalamet and a Tom Holland as a new addition, right? So it's one or the other. So if your real dream <sighs> is to get Timothy Chalamet in these movies... You should be out there rallying against Tom Holland. I want to imagine that, that it's like a very dark reboot of the of the franchise with new younger guys, and then like Timothy Chalamet plays like a very troubled, emotionally torn Vince. Oof! And he plays like a, like a like an internal struggle of. The, I can the see him as Jesse. Vince. I can't see him as Vince. I can see him as Jesse though. The, no, that's why I want him to be Vince because I think like I would like I want to see Timothy Chalamet like bulk up for it, like do like mm. the full Christian Bale. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like, and he comes back as, like, the, not, you know, obviously not Vince, but, like, the new character that is Vince that's, like, grappling with his, like, own identity and what he means to this crew. And, and then yeah. Tom Holland could be, like, the Brian character. Just, he would just have to do work to get to that Vince role. Like, what if he plays Leon in, like, a Leon spinoff movie? Like, what he's doing when we don't see him on screen. Because, like, Leon's just, like, the mysterious character that goes away. We talked about with the Budget Boys. Why is Timothy Chalamet playing Leon? Like, he's in two <laughs> scenes. But then there's, like, a whole separate movie where it's just Leon. And the movie's just called Leon, but it's not called The Professional. <laughs> the Amateur. Leon, colon, The Amateur. <laughs> the Amateur. I want to see Timothy Chalamet shoot the Vince mom hospital visit scene. Because I think he could, like, bring the, like, grappling with his mother dying. And so, your, get... so your new dream is Timothy Chalamet as Vince in a delete scene that we didn't know existed like two months ago <laughs> yeah that's Beautiful. that's what i'm seeing okay. now in my head that's what like really is working for me okay but, like timothy chalamet short hair grappling with his own identity 
Fake tattoos. Yeah, fake tattoos. And him, t- like, holding his mom's hand and just crying. Because you know who I could see in a reboot? Although, I don't know that, I don't know why he would do this, but, like, Shia LaBeouf would make a great Vince. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like would. that's just kind of, like, too kind of, not on brand, but that's just too easy, right? That's just, like, there's no... I want to get all of them in it. Like, let's do, do Shal- like, let's do Timothy Chalamet, let's get... Tom Holland. Let's oh, get so it's Shia. like it's like the new Batman universe where there's like eight different Batmans, eight different Jokers, just like eight different Vinces. No, 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 not eight different Vinces. I mean, like line them all up so they can like restart the family and then have like um like little Franco, not James but Dave mm-hmm. in it, and then we add Zeph too, and then there's your new family. And then what women? Like who's playing Letty? Who's playing Mia? Um, we get um, well, Aubrey Plaza will play. I guess because if 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 Zeph and Little Franco were in it, then I guess Aubrey Plaza's in it. She could play Mia. She's like a really aloof. No, she's like a really aloof Letty, right? Okay. We get her. We get um, Al Pacino's stepdaughter. That's uh, Leo's girlfriend. Who's what's her name? I forget. Oh, from Never Going Back. Yeah, I don't remember. Cami Marone. Yes. Yeah, her. Yeah. And we get the girl from Booksmart. Caitlin Deaver. Jonah Hill's sister that oh, Rachel just told me. No. Okay. Yeah. What's her name? Oh God. Edie Feldstein. Beanie yeah, Feldstein. Beanie, Beanie, yeah, Beanie Feldstein. Okay, yeah. Okay. And that's our crew. Wow. Wow. So we right? got Zeph, Little Franco, yes. Timothy Chalamet, Shia yes. LaBeouf, Aubrey Plaza, Beanie Feldstein, Cami Marone. Yeah. Cami Marone has to be the Mia, right? God. Who? Wait, who's who's Brian? Who's Dom? Oh, Zeph uh, is Dom. Zeph is Dom. Ze- yeah, Zeph is Zeph has got to be Dom. Oh, also, sure. by the way, so while uh, friends were over here yesterday, we were just, like, listening to music and playing pool down in my basement, and I had the TV. I'm like, what? I just don't want to put Netflix on. So we put on – I haven't watched it because I just – I wasn't listening, but we put on Down to Earth with Zac Efron. Oh, yeah. Melissa was over here, and she was talking about how she doesn't like the mid-level marketing guy that, like, is with him tagging along. I was like, oh, yeah, I Joe agree. doesn't like him either. And I was like, he's, like, stupidly ripped, too. Like, I guess you can't be have a show – you can't have a show with <laughs> Zac Efron and not be, like – ungodly ripped i'm just like god like what okay yeah okay yeah tom holland tom holland's pretty ripped because he's spider-man yeah and we can bulk timothy chalamet up for the vince role wait okay so hold on so zeph sorry is dom. rachel just cackled she took her headphones off that's like the first she heard us talking about that oh, she's she gonna just... love these last 10 minutes because they're like not about these movies at all yeah not that she doesn't like the movies but like so we got okay we got zeph as dom tom holland as brian timothy chalamet as vince yeah shia labeouf as leon yeah cammy marone as mia Yes. Aubrey Plaza as an aloof Letty. Yeah. Who's Beanie yeah. Feldstein? Let's make her Jesse. <laughs> okay. Because we haven't real like, we, like, whitewashed this cast a bit, so... Yeah, no, not even a bit. Like, it's wildly white. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, I I couldn't name, like, teen actors off the top of my head that weren't just, like, white kids in popular movies, so I think we make Beanie at least Jesse to start with, and we, we swap some of these out with some, some flavor, please. Yeah, because, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Do you like that? Is that a yeah. good idea? And cool. we have Jacob Tremblay as uh, Baby Nico. Who's that? He's the kid from Room. Oh yeah! Yes, 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 yes. He definitely, he definitely is. Or just, or Baby Brian, right? Baby so. Brian. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking too. Yeah. Well, shout out Jason for sending that link because yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> the only thing that I found is not about the Fastiverse, but it answers a question that I posed last week. I found an article called Michelle Rodriguez signed up for She Dies Tomorrow as she wanted to do quote some weird stuff. Remember, I was like, That's I watched cool. that movie where it's just like, she's in for five minutes, and I'm like, why is yeah, she yeah, in yeah. this? The director wrote the script about her niche comedy thriller, wouldn't call it a comedy, about a woman who's convinced she's going to die the next day, blah, blah, blah. 
When she needed to find an actress for a small part toward the end, she thought back to a meeting she had with Michelle Rodriguez years earlier. I'd met her in a meeting because I heard she wanted to do more female-directed and weird stuff. I don't really do a lot of general meetings with people unless they sort of fascinate me in a way. I think she's so good and strong in her performances, so I sat down with her and had lunch, and she was like, I just want to do some weird stuff. I love Fast and Furious, but I'm an artist. I want to be able to do something weirder. And I was like, I'm your girl. This is all from the director, Amy Simons. Very That cool. was years ago, she says. But I remember that she said that. So when I started making this, I called my agent and was like, ask her if she wanted to do this. She said she wants to do some weird shit, and I'm going to call her out on it. And she did. She showed up. She had like a half day off Fast and Furious, and she showed up on my set. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. And then a Fast and Action sort of kind of ish, at least a movie we talked about. She also needed to cast the role of a doctor who's only in one scene, so her agents found her sweet home Alabama actor Josh Lucas, who was available for one day during his press tour for Ford v. Ferrari. So, connection there, too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of, that explains the story and kind of matches what we thought, right? Yep. You have talented people on both sides of the camera. I mean, Amy Simons is also an actress, but, like, this time, you know, behind, it's just like, hey, like, I really like what you do. Like, let's do something together at some point. And, like, I feel like a lot of those probably go nowhere. But then this one goes somewhere. I think we should see more things like that, like kind of deconstructing like the like we were How talking today. Happen. You and Brian and I were talking. You were talking about billing on a on a movie yes. poster, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And like how that this is a thing. Like, why don't we have more movies where like you have a big name actor that just wants to play a small role? Yeah. Going back to Keanu for a second, you know, talking about Bill and Ted before, like Keanu and Shia to a certain point, they've started being smaller part and this is also what we were talking about last week when I was talking about the Neon Demon with Keanu like they have both kind of checked their ego in a way to play smaller weirder more interesting roles in interesting movies for like kind of creative directors whereas like Nicolas Cage and Tom Cruise, for instance, for better or worse, are always the star of things. Also, Zeph. Zeph's the same thing, too. Like, Zeph is not by any means the star of the beach bomb. Like, that's clearly Matthew McConaughey's movie. But him as, I'm a tiger, bro, right? Like, it just, you're able to be on screen for five or ten minutes and be like, holy shit, like, that was amazing. Or like, Keanu in a handful of movies recently, Shia in a handful of movies. I think it's an ego thing. Like, Nicolas Cage won't do movies generally where he's not the star. Also, you need to have the fuck you money that Zeph, Keanu, and you know, people do from doing star movies to be like, okay, like, this is what I'm actually trying to do. And, like, Cruz has done that. I mean, Cruz obviously has a fucking... He's done it a couple times. Like, he was in Tropic Thunder as the Hollywood executive. But you're right. I think this one's more of an ego thing. Yeah. It's like... He's a star. Right. There's lots of directors that, like, you could do that kind of thing for, but I feel like for the people with the ego, you need someone like a Paul Thomas Anderson, like he did for Cruz and Magnolia, or you need, like, a Quentin Tarantino or a Safi Brothers or something. There's, like, a handful really now where it's like, okay, like, I can get somebody, completely break who they are, and be a small part or whatever. But yeah, I agree that I want to see more of just, like, Hollywood wouldn't be Hollywood without the egos, but also at the same time, check your egos, please. No, it's just, it's cool that we're seeing, I think it's like a new generational thing too, right? Like, these are a lot more, like, younger guys doing this. It's not like the old wave. Yeah. They're like, we were the stars, we're always going to be the stars until they put us out the pasture and you just retire. These guys are like, oh, cool, like, we we don't want to focus on movies all the time, like 100% of our lives, but we'll still do like cool, interesting roles in different smaller things, which is cool. And I also think to a certain extent that there's a reason for that because it's easier than ever to like shoot a movie and distribute a movie. I'm like, yeah, sure. There were people like Roger Corman, who we've talked about on here a lot. And like Brian's talked a lot on his podcast about they were making multiple movies per year. But I feel like now where Michelle Rodriguez can be like, yeah, I'll give you half a day or whatever. Like I can just, you know, swing by and just do that scene where there's so many more movies being made that it can mm-hmm. happen. And you just, sh- you can show up in a lot of things if you want to show up in things, right? 
right? So, yeah. I agree. I can't wait to see where this keeps going, too. Any other news, or is that all you saw? No, that was all I saw. That was the main thing I was thinking about. Well, the last thing to talk about, because we this is a Fast Five, this is a main installment, so yep. we're not going to do a Lost episode, we're not going to do a Fast and Furious Minute episode, we are going to do the deleted scenes, and what we did not know when we planned this out, there are only two, and realistically, one. only one worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a minute 40. I added it to the Fast and Furious deleted scenes playlist on our YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com slash too fast to forever, one of the playlists there is just the Fast and Furious deleted scenes. So you can find the one video that has the two. So let's just talk, get the one out of the way. The first one is presumably like... extended scene, kind of. Brian and Mia meeting Rosa and Nico. So this is the beginning of the movie when they first get to Rio, right? The, the favelas. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot to say here. He introduces, like, this is my wife, Rosa, and this is Nico, like, my baby. And if he does that, then you lose the, like, reveal. The only note that I have is that it kind of spoils the Nico reveal. So, verbatim. Yes. Yep. I can see why they cut this, right? Because it doesn't make it, like, a powerful scene between Dom and Vince as he's dying. It just becomes like, oh, you didn't know this yet. But yep. the audience does, so. Yeah, exactly. But then the other scene, the more the important scene, one. the one worth watching this for, the one worth talking about, is between Hobbs and Elena, and they're getting video footage. And I was trying to figure out, I thought at first that this might be after the shootout chase, but I think realistically, based on what they say, it's after the family robs Reyes and, like, who says who's hiding the money. I think it's that, right? It's got to be. Yeah, it's after he burns the money and and Reyes' hideout, and they're, like, tell him we're coming for all of it or whatever, right? Like, and Dom sets all the money on fire. That's exactly, like, this is, like, the scene right after that. And you see them get boxed out by the police. Like, Elena's like, they won't let us in for hours. They won't do all this evidence or whatever. But it's more so because, like, it's all Reyes' men, right? So, like, they're just cleaning up the scene or whatever. Kind of like in 4, when Dom is doing his Sherlock Holmes thing, where he's just, like, seeing the car tumble down the road as he's visualizing it. We don't see the visualization of it, but we see Hobbs doing the same kind of thing. It's just like, okay... Metal door, drop door, so it needs this. Like, they got this crew, like, whatever. We need seven or eight people. Yep. They work together. There's no body bags. They 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 knew what they were doing. And, like, basically, it's just like, I know who this is. Yeah. He starts to put together and, like, let you know that he knows that it's a family, right? Yes. But the best moment in this, or maybe maybe the entire entire Fast Five movie, which is still my favorite movie in the franchise, as they're walking across the street to get the video footage. Yep. Yeah, uh, taxi drives by, and the yeah. rock slaps the back of the taxi. Basically, like, <laughs> get out of here, keep on moving, boy. And then the taxi honks. It's just like, so in the in the YouTube video, oh, in the God. comments, it's like the one of the top comments is like, I can't believe he thought slapping it was gonna make it go faster. I'm like, I don't think it's that. I think it's just like, get out of my way. Like, I got no time for this. And just like, yeah. basically smacks. Did he smack that ass? Did he grab it? Like, it just like just slaps <laughs> it, moves on. It just, it's the funniest. That's not in the script. That's just that's just the rock doing that thing. This had to be like the Brian Silliman situation where like they had some guy driving a taxi and like missed his mark and the rock's like, you know, it's like walk straight this way. And like some guy like stopped a little short and he's like move and just like hit the ta- like like I'm in acting mode and just like hit it. <laughs> Yeah, because that's definitely, like, a closed set. Like, there's a lot of things going on, but there's no way that they're, like, letting the rock cross, Walk like, an active street. open street, right? Exactly. So, like, but, yeah, like, he just, like, slaps the taxi, which is great. <laughs> but then, then there's another thing. So this is all, like, in a minute 20, like, this scene, which is great. And so yeah. then he climbs up, he sees the camera, and he climbs up or whatever. Elena's filling in about it's Reyes' cash he house. Climbs up, he climbs up a light whatever. It's incredible. He tells her to look away because he's about to steal this. He's like, I don't want you to like, you know, to upset your delicate sensibilities or whatever. And she says, is this standard evidence collection in the States? And he says, woman, there ain't nothing standard about me. And I'm like, God, like that's such a good line. <laughs> such a good for line. anyone, especially him. And it's like, 
man, like I wish that that was in the movie because like that was another quotable, right? Where there's a couple things it and is. it's like, God damn, like that's good. It, it would be great, but I think it would throw the sternness of the yes. Hobbs in the first one off. Because you get that rock smile, right? You get like the charming. Yeah. So one of the things when we were on the Rocky Maivia picture show, we were talking about with Nate. And I got to let Nate know about the scene. I don't know if he knows about the scene because we didn't. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really look into it, but we didn't know about it. We talked about how like he didn't feel like a character. He felt like a caricature or like he felt like just like this type of character, right? Like not like a fully fleshed out. Yeah. Even just having this one little moment makes it feel like, oh, no, there's a person in there. And I yeah, think like he's the rock. The, we see the rock right there, yeah. right? Anything else to say about either of these scenes? Again, only a minute 40 in total. One of them not even really worth watching, but anything to say about these scenes? No, no, no. I think the second one's worth the watch, though. It's Like I said, they're only a minute 40. The first one, pretend like you care about it and just watch that <laughs> for two seconds. It's only like 10, like 10 seconds long at the most because it's like, you know, they like walk in and he's like, here's Nico and my wife. And you're like, okay, cool. Yep. And then the next one starts and it's actually fun and cool. I was saying, I think I might have said this on the podcast too, but like the Hobbs and Shaw disc... And again, they might just be extended or whatever. There's like 35 minutes. Like, there's a lot. So, like, we're going to get back to a point where, like... I was looking today on YouTube. Just make sure, you know, that there's only these two scenes that I could find. I saw, like, Hobbs and Shaw deleted scene six or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. so I was like, oh, okay. So, like, and I, like, now that you say that, I'm like, yep, probably yeah. is. And I think I said that there's the fate. Like, we're not going to have any for fate just because there's only two and they're both in the extended cut anyway. But, like, I know for sure there are some in 6, 7, and Hobbs. So, you know, we'll see what we get. Yeah, we'll find out when we get there. But, Joe, let's take a break, bring in Nico and Kepo, and talk about Fast Five. episode is brought to you by Memory Safe X. Memory Safe X comes with a special program which finds all of your media, stores it, and deletes the duplicates. That saves time from organizing all the pictures and videos of yourself and money from buying additional hardware and cloud storage upgrades. Thank you, Memory Safe X. Thank you, Memory Safe X, and welcome into the back half of the show as they have been joining us all lap long. We have the gentlemen, the husbands, the titular husbands of Husbands Talking More or Less, Nico Basillo and Kevo Reese. Hello, guys. Hello. There's always room for family. <laughs> there is. You got a good family line in this one, huh? Did you like it? Oh, I absolutely thought that Dom's Eight and a Half was my favorite of the Oceans Forever movies. <laughs> I want to know, the, my number one question before we ask you one either or, how do you feel, how did you feel when you found out that there is a character in this universe named Nico? Well, as soon as he was like, I need you to help me with my Carl Urban beard. I need you to tell my son Nico that I died heroically like, like a dick rock star. And I was like, oh, Nico, it's named after him. And Kevo goes, aw. And then he goes, he's named after you. And Kevo goes, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, and then, and then it gets a little bit more on the nose where it's like, he's named after you. And then they cut to Dom and he says, Dominic. Because I, I, I was thinking like, how many layers down do they need to explain to the audience like, his name is Nico. Oh, wink, wink. He's named after you. 
still don't get it dominic it's like oh yeah okay but like, i feel boy, like there's yeah. a lot of that in this movie but it's in a way that i really don't begrudge it because it is so well-intentioned and positive such a great version of what it's trying to be that i can forgive a little bit of ham-handedness because like whatever it's all in good fun yeah i only true. wish that somebody could like just have a brief kind conversation with the filmmaker and say, please just get a better script doctor than the guy who did Lethal Weapon 5 in Sunny. Because <laughs> half of the lines were like, my baby girl Corvette. You mean my baby girl Corvette? My car? My car, my car, my car, my automobile. <laughs> One of the things that I've loved about being a part of the Comic-Con circuit is I've gotten to hear some really brilliant people have some really elegant conversations about things that just wouldn't occur to me. One of my favorite experiences is... One of the directors of Coco was at one of my favorite events I've ever been at, something called Nerdtino, and I would have been at Nerdtino Philly again this year, but unfortunately, you know, everything's a little bit on hiatus. This director, unfortunately, his name escapes me right now, he said that one of the things he made Disney promise him that he wouldn't have to do is something he calls mi hermano, my brother. Every time a Spanish person speaks and they're written by a white person, they tend to say things like, are you trying to tell me that you want me to turn on mi hermano, my brother? As if to <laughs> clarify what hermano means, like any person would double check their own language that they've always used. I can one and a half percent forgive that in a normal situation where there is some transitive my problem is here it was never when people were speaking portuguese because i mean there was a ton of porto in this everybody was like to the bank to the bank to the bank to the bank which is you know a thousand percent <laughs> super duper portuguese but like i was shuddered and shiggled at how often they were like steal this car you mean grand theft auto you mean lift the automobile you mean take the ride <laughs> Yeah, but then that's just yeah. English clarifying English, so that's fine. Playing to the lowest common denominator in some regard, I guess. Yeah. But okay, <laughs> I have one important question before we talk about, before we kick things off with a new segment name that Nico told me that I was like, oh, I don't know why we haven't been doing that other than we're not good at things. Oh. But before we get there, important question for you guys. So as we saw in this movie, you know, we go for a heist, we are successful, right? We nail it, we steal $100 million, we split it four ways, we go to the casino... We go to Rio, we go to Monte Carlo, we go to Vegas, we go wherever you want to go. We walk over to the roulette table. Nico, Kevo, are you putting it all on red or are you putting it all on black? I'm going to have to put it all on red. Always go with Gene. Okay. Oh, that's an X-Men reference for everybody who doesn't know Nico. But that's great. I love that you have an explanation. And Kevo, what about you? I am not a gambling man. I am going to put it all on the buffet. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, buffet. I like that. That's our first time we've had a buffet answer. That's true. It is the first buffet answer. Like, because I'm that guy, you know what I mean? Like, but my vape pen is red because it's it, like, I, and everything I do is Daredevil or Gene. Like, I'm just like, I'm very specific. I want it red, bitch. It like, makes sense. Meanwhile, mine is broken and can't properly hold a cartridge because I don't care. And that is very <laughs> our relationship. Yeah. What I do love about that answer, though, is that we have had so many people say bet it all on black because Wesley Snipes said that in Passenger 57, and people who have not seen that movie still know that quote, 
and almost everyone who says bedded on black gives that as an explanation. People have said red, but nobody's ever really had an explanation for why yes. red. Yeah. So this is our first ever explanation, and it's just Phoenix is pretty cool. So yeah. You know, that's one of my favorite movies. That's the one where Wesley Snipes is a hapless cop in an airplane. Passenger 57, where are you? That's a Car 54, where are you reference for everybody who doesn't know Nico. We've been asking to kick off the conversation, what is the most Letty moment? Nico said, why are you not calling it the Clutch Letty moment? Oh, Car God, pun. what an idiot. Yes, he, thank you. We're just not good at things. Nope. So now. Totally missed us. I'm, I appreciate that. Thank you for contributing. Wow. It is clear that Letty is not in this movie. She is in the credit scene when Ava oh, Mendez. Oh, my God. You have to, I, like, literally, like, to make another <laughs> Nico reference, there's that scene in Alien the android starts rolling around on the ground, spewing milk on everything. That mm-hmm. was me during this credit <laughs> scene. He's not it's joking. Good, right? Uh, it started with Ava Mendez. It's like, I'm like looking at her and I was like, LOL. She looks like Maria Menounos. That feels like a joke I've made. Re- <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe in ghosts? Well, <laughs> so then I shouted, this is about to become even more supernatural. And I think, what's his name? Randy? Beardy Travis. What's his name? Um, Vince. Vince. Vince! (laughs) I was like, he's coming back. (laughs) He does kind of look like Randy Travis, actually. He does. (laughs) Two-part question here. So let's talk about, in either order, whatever you want to answer, the clutch Letty moment. Letty's not really in this movie other than a picture, but what moment do you think, what is most emblematic of this movie of Letty? Number one. And number two, let's talk about that ending, that credit scene. What did you think of that? I think for me, the most clutch Letty moment, when Tej says that his actual dream is to run a shop, he indicates a sense of... So there's there's an important thing in this movie that I need to point out. I loved how many by POC there were in this film. And because... By this movie, the moral core of the Fast and the Furious universe has sort of been whittled away. Even the best people are morally ambiguous because that's what Mm -hmm. it takes to survive this sort of car noir. I find myself really okay because these are all the best kind of criminals. These are criminals who are criminals for good reasons with hearts of gold. They're like Megan the hooker with a heart of gold. Yeah. It's yep. Megan from Melrose Place. Got it out of the way early. I'm glad. Okay, it's good. not, but keep going. Well, no, I mean, I'm on a mission all summer. I want to mention Melrose Place once an episode, and Joey has been really good about this. If it's anything, it's Sydney. Now continue. Oh, it is totally Sydney, but after the box, before the stripping. I find myself with this idea that morality is secondary to the quality of your heart, right? Like, there really is a sense of character versus actions in these films, right? I really do liken it to the Oceans movies, especially once this one hits. Part of that comes down to Tej is looking to be greatly potent. He still wants to be Tej, and he wants access to the money, and he wants access to the technology he loves, but he wants a life of mundanity, but a life of brilliant mundanity. He wants to live his expression of happiness. And I think if you go back and you watch like Letty's first few movies, that's what Letty's looking for. Mm-hmm. Letty is looking for contentment. She is looking to feel okay. That's all Tej wants either. And in that regard, I think Tej has the clutchest Letty moment in looking for a sort of normalcy. It's just Snoopy looking for that little doghouse with Woodstock on top. <laughs> Dom is her Woodstock. That. It's perfect. That's that's a great Letty moment, one that I didn't have. But yeah, it makes perfect sense. She, she is the most, like, once... 
calm, familial things. Like, she's along for the ride, but at the same time, like, if Dom was like, I'm gonna start a farm, she would be like, yeah, we can go do that, and just be totally happy with it. Oh, and see, meanwhile, my clutch lady moment was everybody gunning down all of the mafia dudes with machine guns to protect Hobbs. That uh, <laughs> ultra-violent moment, to me, was the cl- clutch lady moment. So maybe I have a different read on the character. <laughs> no, I mean, she is a duality of nature. She is... Mother, and let's talk about mother for one second as an idea. We have daughter, mother, and crone. And if you can't imagine Helen Mirren with a machine gun when you imagine crone, I don't think you're thinking of the same sort of powerful women I am. Yeah, I think there's room for Letty to be all of those things and still be incredibly Letty. And I kind of, you know, my first experience with Michelle Rodriguez, my first experience with the M-Rod was (laughs) Resident Evil. I kind of can only associate her with countless death. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Joe, what was your pick for Clutch Letty moment? I think the Clutch Letty moment was Gal's track, like her lap record, and everybody being impressed with it, because I could definitely have seen Letty doing that, right? Like, they're like, we need a precision driver, and everybody's like, okay, Letty gets a shot, and then she just crushes it, and they're all just like, oh. Like, not the, like, oogling afterwards, but, like, that part. And what about you, Joey? Joey, what was your clutchest Letty moment? <laughs> I don't know if this is necessarily a Letty moment, but I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's a definitively, it's a Rico and Tego moment, but I do think that when they're giving... I don't know their names because their names change from movie to movie. It's either Leo and Santo or it's Rico and Tego. I don't know who is who, but they're giving each other shit about being a bad cook. And I feel like there is something about the love that Letty shows while also not being afraid to, like, give you shit for things that you suck at. Mm. I think is a very defining trait of probably a lot of Michelle Rodriguez characters, but also specifically Letty. I got to beep boop the bop in real quick because that would definitely be what Kevo and I thought of as our R1 moment of the film. Ooh, what is R1? I'm using R1 to refer to Rogue One where there's obviously a gay couple that you just can't say are gay and then you tell yourself that they're not gay and then I need you to look back on your life and you need to think about the friendship you based that on and you need to read contextualize those times you guys jacked off together right because you were gay together so So now what is fascinating maybe it's just a different perspective that we have for so long seen rico and tego as like brothers maybe cousins unclear what their dynamic is but how heteronormative this straight guy of you i know i know but this is what i'm saying this is the point i'm getting at someone very recently said no i think they're actually a gay couple and i was like uh, and joe and i were both like oh what yeah we were like yeah that makes sense down to he's like yeah you need to learn to cook better for me look at me i would use my money to make you a better wife it is literally the kind of banter that if it was mia and brian it would be mia saying i would get brian cooking lessons yeah like it would be adorable i always just read it i mean you know that's my brain but i always read it as they were like cousins that lived together Right, just like two bros living in a house together. Back in the 1940s, that's exactly what they would have been. (laughs) What distinguished bachelors they are. Exactly. (laughs) Unfortunately, if you want this movie to make money overseas, that's kind of still what they have to be. And I'm not even saying it's necessarily the screenwriter's intention. It is sort of right there. We'll call that Shanghai Erasure. So there is a character... That is introduced in this movie. Joe and I have long posited could be gay. We will not go into further detail yet. I think uh, I would like you both to develop your own perspectives on this. We, we, we're kind of possibly rebuked in a way. Or is it Nico? 
Yes. Is it Nico? Nico's the, the, ch- the child. Yes. Baby Nico's a, the big old gay. He's a big old queer mo with a car. <laughs> fast faggy. It's weird. He like ages super super fast. Like in the next movie, he's like fifteen. It's like whoa, where'd that come from? Okay. All of a sudden, he's played by a very slutty Ezra Miller. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think those are four good clutch letty moments though. And in our new segment, the clutch letty moment, the sponsored by. Moment. What's a clutch? I think we've had a clutch sponsor before. Give me a clutch brand. I don't know. Fendi? Gucci. Oh, you're saying yeah. clutch like a, like a purse. Well, no, yeah. I'm saying clutch like the car thing, and then I don't know any clutch thing, so I just went the other clutch. But yeah, Nico and I got there at the same point. I yeah, thought no. we were naming handbags. Okay. No, I love that, though. Go with it. <laughs> it was perfect. The floor is open, Fast Five. Now, do you see why we were calling it the Avengers, both in terms of like story, but also quality? And do you agree? Yes, absolutely. I found myself fucking riveted. I cried probably twice. And I mean, it's not a lot to get me to cry. I specifically thought the moment, oh, I don't want to get choked up on air talking about it. When Dom comes charging in with that machine gun to save Hobbs. Holy shit. That was like everything. Because that is what these movies are for me. I love specifically Dom and Mia the most. And only because I haven't really had Letty in two films. Dom and Mia have come to represent, like, this is the X-Men to me. And... I use X-Men to represent a culturally diverse or emotionally kind of like psychological, ideological diverse cast where you're trying to homogenize a bunch of independent concepts. And I'm going to rewind a little bit. When they were creating the X-Men in the first place, it was just teens work, make teens. By 1975, that didn't work anymore. Then editor-in-chief of Marvel, Len Wein, said, I need something that sells better on the international market because right now we don't have a lot of hits. Mm-hmm. X-Men has been in reprints for five years. Let's revitalize the brand with an international team. They used Sunfire, a Japanese mutant from X-Men. They used Banshee. Another already existing Scots mutant from Irish mutant from the X-Men, Moira's Scots, bad on me. The already existent Wolverine, a Canadian mutant from the pages of Incredible Hulk. And they, for the most part, cobbled together a number of existing characters and or tropes, you know, for that same factor. Nightcrawler represents Spider-Man. He can get from here to there really quickly. He has something he can swing on and he likes to think himself a quipping Errol Flynn that likes the ladies. You know, there's a balance to these things. And it's so how can you bring together these separate, these very disparate concepts and make them work together? That's what an X-Men cell is to me. It also sort of applies to Grant Morrison's The Invisibles. I think the best example of an Invisibles cell on TV ever is The Magicians. So in that same modus, right, where if we say things like that four-person construct is a an I Love Lucy, a Fantastic Four, a Will and Grace, a Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. A Seinfeld. A Seinfeld, right, truly. Then we need to take a step back and we need to say that that sort of five six or more is kind of a little bit more in line with that x-men paradigm right the paradigm doesn't translate all the way across it's not you plug in a for one b for two it's not that kind of paradigm instead this is more that revitalized take on the idea where the the former the former tough guy can be the lead guy and that's where we get dom the wolverine cyclops right and that's a little bit more in line with your Yeah, that's a little bit more in line with your X-Men Evolutions, modern film franchise, where Wolverine is in the infancy of our experience, not their experience, but our experience with this idea of the brand. I think of Dom as this sort of romantic hero, and I think the fact that the lead figure is more aggressive, a little bit more 
Yeah, there's just really no other way to put it, but he's aggro. He's more masculine than Cyclops is. I think that's emblematic of a generation designed around the idea of the 90s look cool. With Dom, you have kind of a more traditional war hero. It's strange to me that we haven't been told that Dom served in Desert Storm, except I wouldn't believe that unless he stole a tank. It's really interesting. So seeing Dom charge in when Dom... Finally, I believe Dom with the whole... His family. Like, I finally (laughs) believe it when Hobbs is laying on the ground and he's watching his friends all die. And that gorgeous muscle god that Kevo sent me the images of with the mohawk. Oh, so hot. Not the Quizmaster from Sabrina. No, not the Quizmaster. That was gut-wrenching, too. And that one guy that looked like a howling commando. But, like, the second grenade thrown at the Quizmaster, we were like, oh, my God, overkill. too many grenades. That was cruel (laughs) on top of, you know... Already terrible murder. I guess when life hands you grenades, you make grenade an aid. <laughs> so, anyway. No. <laughs> when he comes charging in and he's like, your family has been taken from you. I'm here to give you a new family. My family will protect you. You are lost. And I'm grateful he didn't actually say any of it out loud because he could have. In this film? Have. Yeah, really. This is a car I am driving, vroom vroom, you know? So the other moment that made me absolutely go, oh, okay. At the end of the film, they're all like, are we gonna, are we gonna make it? Is, is it, you know, you have that moment of intense fear. Dom has that moment where he's like, we gotta do it. There was something in Vin Diesel's performance where I was like, did Vin Diesel think he was going to die on this stunt? (laughs) Like a reserved sadness to his performance in the middle of an action sequence. And I was like, that is the spirit of a man who is going to (laughs) die. Like there's this moment. If you're a West Wing fan, there's an early moment in the series. I believe it's in a proportional response. A navalman on a ship that is in a hurricane, they're really scared that he's going to perish on this ship. And they get him on the phone with the president to convince him to stay strong because the president really cares about these things. And it, it makes sense in the context of the show. The guy's like, it's getting pretty scary out here, sir. I don't know what to do. Jed, the president, who is the fucking president, just goes, I don't know, man. It sounds pretty bad. It's this moment of complete brokenness from a position of power that indicates to me a sense of vulnerability through masculinity that is an important element to a classic alpha hero. And that's something I got from Dom in the final chase before, you know, Hobbs came in and just started executing people. Yeah, just full on execution of the bad guy. That always still throws me. Like when I was watching it this time, I was like, oh, shit, I totally forgot that. Like, you know, because he's like the law, right? And, like, a good guy. Oh, you mean the guy who wields the power of the Justice Crush? (laughs) Ooh! What is this? Well, you see, it's Justice. He can only use it for good, but it goes a little too far. He's got so much power bursting inside him. If he hadn't been such a Johnny Law, he would have had the Furious Force. But Mm. instead, he has the Justice Crush. Okay. Because let's be real, Hobbs from the beginning of the movie acknowledged the fact that these people have magical powers by saying, don't let them near a car. Because, yeah. like, what are they actually going to do? Cars aren't literally magic. They can't drive them up walls. No. Except they are magic here. Well, not yet. I think another thing that was really important to the creation of this film actually sources back to something we discussed on HTML, for which I'm really grateful to Kevo. There is something to the value of legitimate size proportion 
in dynamic action sequences. The original casting of Predator was Jean-Claude Van Damme, but the problem was he wasn't physically intimidating enough despite being hysterically intimidating looking. When I think about somebody who can make Vin Diesel look small, now this is really important, it needs to be somebody with The Rock's stature. Now this is where we're going to get a little bit kind of funny, Nico, super sexual, but there is something that is very specifically alpha bull about Dom that is a unique trait that they give him. For the most part, men who are challenged by another position of authority grind their teeth or puff out their chest. Dom smirks. And he doesn't smirk like an evil Joker smirk. He smirks like he knows that he needs help carrying his balls around. (laughs) And so for it to be this guy who's actually big enough to make Dom look small jacked enough to make him look reasonably fit but not the muscle god that we all know he is and then for him to be able to create that sense of contrast in strength by the presence of his cockiness you know that alpha dominance that makes this character unique it's a unique balance that was very necessary to create these roles it's something that this franchise could not have survived without we'll see how this evolves bitch <laughs> just physically evolves <laughs> yes you do need the rock to be bigger in stature than dom he needs to be intimidating to him he needs to pose a threat because to this point we've not really had a physical imposing threat the first movie's threat was emotional right yeah the fourth movie with dom is kind of personal because letty's died But this is actually physically intimidation from a bigger man. And I don't want to necessarily contradict, because I know you guys actually are the Fast and Furious forces themselves, right? Oh, thank you. The way Paula Abdul actually is the (laughs) heart of the race, you guys are the Fast and Furious force. So there's a complex physical threat in each film that evolves with the cast, right? In the first film... It's a lot of brute strength, and the thing they need is to learn how to finesse, and what they don't need to learn how to finesse is they need to learn to trust their finesse. Letty clearly has the smoothness, but Dom doesn't always give it... Yeah, Dom does always give it to her, let's be real. But Dom doesn't always give her control of the situation. Now, Brian comes in and is like, you can be strong, but also have finesse. And that's where Dom is like, oh, I've learned something. But to that extent, they're bad guy. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They're basically car ninjas like yeah they're sleek they're on motorcycles they have everything but swords and the power to summon their ancestors it's really <laughs> it's really one of the more racially insensitive things about the first film in a movie that drops the n-word that's pretty impressive then the second movie the bad guy is a sense of community actually because the first film they have a sense of community to rely on the second film They don't have that sense of community to rely on. And that's part of what weakens Brian's efficacy. Brian gets by thanks to the help of other people. I believe Dom could survive on his own, but chooses to have a family to create safety for others. Brian is occasionally just kind of like jacking his dick in the park, hoping somebody notices. Wait, so are you saying that Brian gets by with a little help from his friends? Yeah, I I think he'll get by with a little help from his friends. Oh, no one's going to do the the backup vocals. Got it. So... (laughs) not that kind of show it's not that kind. oh god no one sang so (laughs) then in the fourth movie 
The bad guy is their own pasts. It's literally elements of who they were coming back to get them. Brian mm-hmm. is being chased by a lawman. The idea that's actually chasing Dom is that Letty is gone and now he has nothing to live for. One of the things that has made Dom so strong is his survival instinct and his desire to have others survive and succeed as well. But losing Letty puts Dom in a position where he's no longer as capable of committing to that sort of protectorate as he should be, which is why Mia is, of course, panic-stricken. Mia has always had Dom to take care of those things so she could take care of other parts of their business, which is why I think we see an increased role from Mia as the dynamic of the group changes throughout the fourth film and now into this movie where she was basically like Oracle, right? I was expecting her to be like, the Joker took my legs. So, clunk. So I think that the (laughs) thing that matters to the narrative of the physical threat is the weakness of the group at the time. Weakness is a transformative thing, you know, not to bring up another one of our shows, but check out X's for Podcasts, where this week we're going to be talking about, or whatever week, maybe last week, two weeks ago, no one knows time travel. So in X-Men 11, it's introduced that there is a mystical game that's on this magical island of Araco. The summoner sorcerer is a real fucking creepoid who probably has a white van and is like, sit at my table and play this game with me. The game is psychic in nature. The whole point of this game is to find... It changes with each person that plays it. The whole point is to find your enemy's weakness. And one of the players says, yeah, well, what if you don't have a weakness? And the summoner sorcerer says, that's how it always starts. I read it earlier today, but it's been like the thing on a loop in my head for 12 hours now. I'm starting to see how... Everything has this shifting weakness is a huge element of fiction narratives that we are thriving on right now. The nature of the physical threat affecting the group, what I'm going to start calling the fast family, the nature of the thing they're missing. They're a family and they're only as strong as the thing they're missing. Okay, so then in this one, they're only as strong as Letty? Or is there a grander narrative in play? Well, the thing they're now missing is the heart that is capable of challenging Dom. Don't get me wrong, especially at the end, that conversation between Brian and Dom is basically like Brian like, I bet this time I can take it to the root. Fuck me up to my guts. And (laughs) Dom is like, yeah, I think we'll see if you can take it. Right. That's basically that exchange. Right. So we understand that there is definitely kind of like there's a gay bones element there. They're they're super Joey and Chandler for one another. Right. (laughs) But even in that dynamic situation, we don't see Brian have the capacity to challenge Dom in the same way that Letty could. We don't see Brian have the capacity to if Dom went crazy, Brian could not take him out. No, no. I don't think Mia has the conviction of self to end others' lives readily enough as well. That means without Letty, there's nobody who poses. That's what makes Willow such a dynamic villain in Buffy season six. You need somebody on the inside strong enough and powerful enough to frighten Buffy, to make Buffy go, this was my team and now I'm fucked. If you don't have somebody inside, Dom's strength becomes hollow. What is Superman without kryptonite? Yeah. You need somebody whose heart can compel him down into place, sort of like another dog challenge kind of thing, and like barking at each other. Throughout most of this movie, because they're missing Letty, that's their weakness. 
Dom isn't making all the right decisions. There's t- not that I don't love Dom being happy. Not that that's not something I want for him. Parts of this movie kind of made me go, all right, well, that was a bad plan anyway. So, yeah. It failed. Morons. And that's where there's like a kind of a distinct difference. I mean, you've been calling it Dom's eight and a half for a few different reasons, but there's a distinct difference between the Ocean's plans and this plan because like the Ocean's plans are never not going to work, right? Like those movies are effectively, hey, let's see a lot of cool people doing cool things and things go wrong. But like at the end of the day, it was always going to go as planned, right? Like there's no there's no real risk in those movies because you know that Brad Pitt and George Clooney are going to get away with it. They're going to, they're going to, the job is going to get done, right? Like the whole point in 12 is that you think that they fail and at the end, spoiler, they don't fail. But that's not really a spoiler. Of course they're going to do that. Yeah. But in this movie, like, they have, your to your point, four or five different things, and eventually they're just like, okay, cool, like, plan G. Like, you know, we here's what we're going to do. So it is Oceans, but it's also kind of just like, yeah, we're, we're not necessarily the best at planning things, but we're trying. I think your point that Letty's not there to keep it in check is perfect, though. That That makes a lot of sense to me. As much as they don't, like, we don't see her pivotal role, we don't know how much she's, like, in Dom's ear, like, that was a fucking dumb idea, don't do that one. You're gonna come upstairs and give me a massage, right? Exactly. Now. Yeah, like, <laughs> we don't know how much of that is really her being like, look, let's fix this. I do want to get your take while we're on this subject before we go too far in the other direction. I want to get your take on the end of the movie where Mia is visibly pregnant now. We have fast-forwarded probably six months or so and dom and elena now appear as a couple on the beach to welcome mia and brian what do you think of the dom slipping and sliding because we were talking last time you were on about letty's body not even cold in the ground and yet he's already there with giselle and we're like well he's kind of rebuking her whatever here he's very clearly with elena so what do you think of the elena replacement of letty or maybe if not replacement in terms of this overall narrative of like what they're missing without Letty, how does this factor into how you view this character and this family? I mean, I almost want to say who, because I feel like she's not even a full character. Uh, she's really, to me, more like a female prize for Dom for making it through the movie. <laughs> Yet fair. I mean, you could basically replace her with a fleshlight that could drive. While Nico was talking about the movie, I actually wanted to ask if he genuinely noticed that Dom ended up with Neves. He's shaking his head. Nope, no, didn't even catch it. I didn't think you did. No, no. I thought he just was like living with her. They were just like hiding with their money. No, they're together. Oh, that's gross. I don't oh, like the it. The fact that she didn't even, that she barely spoke, if at all, I assumed you didn't even notice who she was. No, I was, oh. Lady, okay. There is a marked improvement in her character that she has a name, she has lines, she has somewhat of a backstory. It's better than it's been. Yeah. It's maybe not good, but it's better than it's been. But I do want to point out, because there's no other place where this is going to fit in, but while we're talking about Elena, when Hobbes gives his fellow officer her file and it's just like, I want her, the translator, I want Elena, I handpicked her, she's the one I want. I, I paused on the document and it straight up makes no sense. So ha! it's ostensibly a dossier about Elena because they have her picture, photo yeah. clip, a paper clip to yeah. it. There's a paper on the right that's like Elena Neves, whatever. On the left, there's a paper behind the photo. But here's what it says. Alias unknown. And this is all in Portuguese. I translated it through. Okay. <laughs> Alias unknown charges murder 
What? Keith's disposition detained in Cadea County, which is misspelled in the document, residence Brazil, birth country Brazil, nationality Caucasian, which keep that in mind, that'll come back later, Okay. <laughs> criminal specialty extortion, question marks, age 30, okay, birthday 11-7-62, which makes no sense, or it maybe says 82, but that still makes no, no sense. Still no Unless sense. this is taking place in the past. Weight, 110 pounds. That's fine. That's the one thing I don't have a problem with, really, except for maybe the Brazil stuff. Skin brown, even though they said above nationality Caucasian. Okay. Then there's a thing that translates to change it, which is blank. Then there's height 5-4, eyes dark, hair oh my God. black, which is not true. Marks and scars, N-A. Half of that is kind of Elena. Half of that is not Elena. Is it somebody else's dossier that her picture is in? I don't know who that would be. Like, none of, like, I understand that murderer. whoever put this together. Yeah. I know. Guys, Wait, can you describe to me where it said the phrase change it? So I don't know if it was actually, I think, I think from what I could tell, there's weight, skin, and change it on a line. Because of a lot of the behind the scenes things that we've been watching about video games, about movies, about things that are supposed to be changed in post, I almost wonder if they just had piece of paper oh. and they were supposed to digitally do something to it that's really my only explanation like it's a placeholder it's like change this like it says like she's a murderer and it's like change it well i can actually explain one of the things i do agree with you that it is off-putting for americans to see a brazilian national described as caucasian and then have their skin color described as brown but something that we occasionally miss on this side of the world is that there is a great deal of attention paid to gradient of skin tone and brazil is one of the countries that unfortunately suffers from the most disharmony due to skin tone. There is a great difference mm. between a white Brazilian, which includes lighter shades of tan, brown, and many colors in between, right? And then there is a very specific difference when you are a black Brazilian. It's actually something we've talked about on X's for Podcast. It's an element of the character Sunspot of the New Mutants. He is a victim of racism for being a black Brazilian in Brazil during a soccer match from his white, but clearly South American Brazilian teammates. So that actually refers mm. to an unfortunate volume of racism that runs rampant through South America. Okay, so that explains away that. That is the only thing that explains in yes. any, unless it's like, oh, she's so hot, she just killed me with her hot. Damn, she's old. Look how hot she is for old. I'm dead. <laughs> Which I don't know if you know, do you either of you recognize that actress? I think Kevo said her name is Helga Pataki. Do you know who Elsa. that is? It's Elsa Pataki. Do you know who that is? No. That is Thor, God of Thunder, Chris Hemsworth's wife in real life. What? Yeah. She acts? I had no idea. Yeah, man. So I think to put a button on this, because this is a rabbit hole that has no answers, I think the best answer is that they did not expect or intend anyone to pause on this screen, and they just threw another piece of paper in there. But it yeah. is still wildly, it, just, it made me scratch my head, and Joe, when we get to this minute, we're going to have to refer back to this because I have I'm the notes already written down, but boy oh boy. I'm so excited. But yeah, that's Thor's yeah. wife. I mean, I thought we were going to talk about Hobbes saying that he wants her because of her smile. 
And then her being like, my smile's not very good. He has ulterior mo- Like, he has a reason why he picked her, but he's not divulging that. Well, yeah, right? she's the only not corrupt cop on this entire force of Brazilian corrupt cops. Yes, and he doesn't want to say that to the other cop, that he's, like, being like, this is the one that I want, too. Well, to be like, you guys but- all suck. She's the only non-corrupt and one. I do appreciate that read but I want to just like jump back one of the subtextual arguments that unfortunately has plagued women is women are less likely to get a job if they're not smiling you should smile oh, more yeah. it makes you look prettier so by yep. using that Rachel hates this by using that identity immediately and then having her compel it down by having her say no I will not be your pretty smiling woman that immediately gave her the upper hand over the misogyny that runs through the earlier films. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things they were doing was trying to establish that, yes, this is a franchise that has made a number of misogynistic mistakes before, but this is a new lead figure willing to learn and respect women. I'd like to think of it as a meta statement on the fact that this is the franchise that, like we said, dropped an F-bomb and an N-bomb in the first film. True. I Like, I was just thinking it was something different, but obviously I always look through, like, the lowest common no- denominator of the lens, so. Because we've talked a lot about, because Hobbes in particular, the, the rock character Hobbes, Lucas Hobbes, he has a very interesting dynamic. Like, the, this relationship that he has with Elena is mirrored in a way in the next movie. And I won't spoil that, how that is, or wh- how you'll how you'll see that, or whatever. He definitely, I think they're trying to, not only, we've used this phrase a lot, we've not said it in a while, but like, The Rock is often known as Franchise Viagra. You bring him in here because they want to make this movie bigger, they want to make the franchise bigger, whatever. But I also think, to your point, Kevo, overwriting kind of the misogyny, or not overwriting, but being like, hey, we're better now, I think that they're intentionally and explicitly taking his character making him kind of like in a way don't know if i'm using this right like a paragon of justice like he's the one he's like he's so lawful good in all ways that he's like no i'm just looking for the most competent person for the job man woman you know any gender whatever i need the best of the best and i feel like in many ways and i don't know if we've ever gotten into it this deeply i feel like he is demonstrating that in this franchise and that's such a the rock thing to be he's a former football player a former wrestler, the guy preaches love and he preaches like I have this really specific memory when he was making Scorpion King, right? That was his mm-hmm. The Mummy spinoff. Yeah. He gave a yep. Rolling Stone interview where he said he likes to make time to masturbate at least once a week because it's legitimately important to remember to respect your own body and check in with yourself every now and then. No matter <laughs> where you go in life or what you do, you're still in that body. And if you can't love it, how can anyone else? And I'm like, however old we were, I'm like sophomore years old. And I'm like, The Rock said it's okay to masturbate. And now I get to do that thinking about The Rock <laughs> masturbating. So I gotta go. <laughs> Do you think that that's also on his cheat day? I don't. Just like a pile of cookies and just is just holding himself. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I, I would think spread so. it out. I would do them separate days. Yeah, and I mean, I got to imagine that The Rock is basically made of like, I don't think it's human growth hormone. I don't think he takes, I think he just injects himself. I think he, he just takes himself. The Rock hormone into himself and just gets bigger by feeding on his own bigness. He just like distills himself down. Into a shot to re-put into himself. He is a perpetual like motion Johnson. Like a phoenix. <laughs> Precisely. Oh my god, Dwayne Johnson as the phoenix. Guys, I just crashed on this spaceship into Jamaica Bay, and now I'm this lady on fire. Look at my green dress. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, when we get to the end, because we were talking about the end, though, 
you see Monica Fuentes come back. That's her from 2. And, you know, you start freaking out a little bit. And then they hit you with that last part. Did anybody see that coming? I know you said you were psyched about it, but, like, just run me through, like, what was going through your mind as you're watching that. I like to examine things in a bigger picture, right? There was this sense of bigger is better in the 90s because for a while technology had to be bigger to be better. TVs had to be enormous to contain the technology to make them look that good. Now that's why we have a bit more reasonably sized TVs again because the technology's there, right? So the idea was put as much as you can in every film. And we've talked about this on Now and Again. The idea used to be put as much as you can in every album. And that's why you had 26 song albums in 2009. Once again, to use a term, I think this is emblematic of the era it's in. I love this reveal, but there is nothing about it that does not seem premeditated. This isn't they reached a logical conclusion where they were like, at the end of this movie, oh my God, we need to bring Letty back. It's going to change everything. This was, Justin Lin was like, so we can't get Michelle Rodriguez during that movie because she's (laughs) going to be filmed. Okay, so, okay, how can we not have Letty for a whole movie? Um... She was on the back half of the plane. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I also have a weird request. This is a very strange request. But could you guys run through the members of the Fast crew, of the Fast family that are in this film so I can react to them? Because I realize, like, I haven't said anything about Roman. I thought Roman was much better in this film than he was in, what was that, like, Blue Crush with Cars? Was that what he was in? (laughs) It was like an episode of Pack Blue. It was just fucking ridiculous. And I couldn't get over how poorly he fit that film, despite Tyrese being a tremendously talented actor. Seeing him used in, again, this is just straight up an Oceans movie. Seeing him used in that capacity made him much stronger as a performer. I thought Tej was underutilized here. I okay. loved okay, hold, hold, freaking wait, hold, okay. fag. Let's, hold on, wait, wait, wait. wait. Let, me, let me do what you asked, because I have the quote written down, because he says, and I quote, you realize you're talking about going up against the most powerful guy in Rio. Yes, we are. Then we're going to need a team. So let's go through the team. Before you just give like a half sentence, I want to get your take. I want to get your thoughts on these, because this is the team. And let's yeah, start this is the with, team. Let's start with first... The chameleon, chameleon. Han. I love him. I love that they're trying to make, desperately trying to make him look seven years younger than he is. Oh, you think he's a lot older? Really? No, no, because they're trying to put this before Tokyo Drift. Yeah. Yeah, they're trying to make him look like he can still be in Tokyo Drift eventually. And I think that's why he's got the Bieber. I won't spoil anything, but I will tell you that the, the main character in Tokyo Drift, they do not give one shit about what he looks like at any point age-wise. Yes, maybe they're doing that here consciously, but like it's it's very much not an important facet, Joe, would you say, of Sean, who you will meet eventually. The age continuity of the main character of Tokyo Drift is all sorts of fucked. So while I appreciate that you think that they're being conscious here about trying to make it be like, hey, yeah, because they keep referencing, like, want to go to Tokyo? We'll get there eventually. Like, they keep saying that kind of thing, knowing where we're going to wind up in both the past and the future, it's going to be laughable. And I, I don't I don't mean to make fun of you because you haven't seen it yet, but like the aging of Sean Boswell is one of the most egregious, like, oh, you guys didn't even we try. We talk about it a lot. You didn't even yeah. try to do this right. Okay. But yes, okay, Han. Yeah. You had lots of names that you were calling him, Nico, in our in our Facebook chat, but you you love Han. Kevin, what do you you love Han too? Yeah. 
I love Han Solo. I love Han Duo. Oh, <laughs> by the way, his name is Han Solo in this. Han, S-E-O-U-L-O-H. Or his alias. We don't know. Yeah. But yes. I am absolutely... I mean, that's like Corky Sherwood Forest. I don't want to talk to any of these people. Murphy Brown reference. Come on. Then we have the fast talker. That is Roman. I thought Roman yes, was cause... used really well in this movie. It made up for the underutilization of such a usable presence. You know, Tyrese fills a stage, so it doesn't really make sense to lightly brush him. I think I think they're right. He needs a bigger space, and they give him the freedom to be Roman in this one, right? Like, because all, all you have is your scope right now is two. So, like, to bring him in and let him be Roman in the arena of having everyone else around, it, it works really well. I just put a napkin on his dashboard that says, let Roman be Roman. Yeah. R-O-A-M-I-N apostrophe? Kevin, why don't you give your opinions on Roman? I don't know what's happening. He's fine. I like him. <laughs> Then like we have a, a guy nice who's man. good with circuits, who is Tej. I think Tej is the most like relatable character in the entire thing. He's sort of like Ryan on The Office, where he's a little bit too real to be in this franchise. And I'm kind of like, oh, buddy. Tej is cooler than almost fits. He's so slick. I really enjoy That's the character. Fair. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to know what to say or what not to say to not spoil future movies, but I feel like while Tej has like a concrete role on the team now, even where the franchise goes, I feel like the importance of his personality kind of on the movie changes in a weird way. Kind of I feel like they kind of lose an idea of like what what to do with him, which is a weird, weird kind of thing, a weird kind of transition, sort of. Well, I'm excited to see him roll out this new sense of self. <laughs> then we need a couple guys, because, you know, the, as the explanation goes, to go along with those circuits, they're also going to have walls. Uh, we need somebody to punch through those walls, and that's Rico and Tego. That is who we thought were related, but you think might be a gay couple. Frickin' uh, fact. Any thoughts on Rico and Tego? Well, I even looked into it, and as far as I could tell, nothing seems to report that they're even cousins. They could still very well be family. Maybe they've we never met. We were calling met. them the brothers forever. Like, we, we, we were, were just calling them convinced. the twins, yeah. Yeah, no, I've seen that video from Bellamy before. Oh, so uh, Bellamy is like gay brazzers. Okay, <laughs> okay. What's European brazzers? Ooh, is there a European brazzers? Brazzers? Mm. Ha. Well, because, like, I think what you're saying is that Brazzers is, like, Falcon. But... Brazzers is Men.com. Oh, let's be real. Men.com is all the gay porn. Anyway, so... What are you saying, Falcon, um, like Captain America Falcon? No. no. Like, Different Falcon. Falcon. Gay Falcon. <laughs> okay. okay. Gay Falcon. Like, creators of the Falcon video pack. FVP. So, uh, gay porn. Um, <laughs> so, I think uh, you should ask the next question. <laughs> Right. Then we need somebody who's good with utilities and weapons, who is Giselle Gal Gadot. What terms did they leave things on with Giselle at the end of the last movie that they can call her for this kind of favor? Right. Like, I'm not complaining. I really love this found family dynamic that they've come to like, yep. more and more. Fast and Furious number four. Dom saves her life like twice, and then they meet on top of that mountain by Mexico, and she gives them a car. So they're on good terms. It does feel like she's not going to come back until they're like, hey, we can get Gal Gadot again. And so they bring her in. But it feels like they end on pretty amicable terms. I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy to think that she'll be back. It just feels like they're insanely close. Like she's hugging Mia when they find out that she's pregnant. Yes. And I was like, mm -hmm. yes. Are you two friends? Do you text? Do you think they're close enough that she's going to ask her to be the Gadot mother? Get out. 
when I saw that hug, this is the first time I was like, oh, but but, they, but Mia knows her, maybe. I mean, they were, they, I actually don't know if they met, but they were in the same movie, which is saying something. <laughs> they were both at that sexy lamp store. The same lamp store. They were both at the same sexy lamp store. It was the two yeah, of them yeah. and Bo Peep. And then we need two precision drivers, and you know we got those. And that's Dom and Brian. Yeah. I was hoping it was going to be Mia and Brian, and that Dom was going to have some, like, I'm going to stand on top of the cars and just rip stuff. But, like, (laughs) then it wasn't. Yeah, because keep in mind, like, in all of these, like, they build the entire team, and Mia not mentioned. She's the only one not mentioned. Not even given a job. They weren't even like, we need somebody to make sandwiches at home. It's like, no, they didn't even, like, give her that. They just, like, don't mention her at all. Realistically, they were probably keeping her off the board because she is pregnant, but that calls into question the bigger problems of making that Mia's story in this movie because the only thing that you can give a woman of significance is bearing children. It's like they needed to come up with a reason to sideline her that would be legitimate enough after the end of the last movie where she was driving and helping break Dom off the train. Bus. I'm yes. looking forward to the next film when she gives birth to the little baby Camry. <laughs> I will. I will. The little um, baby Chrysler. Ah. I will say that there are more questionable pregnancy-related things to come. I won't give more detail than that, yes. but like the franchise is. This is not our final pregnancy. Overall that's for sure. inability sure. to kind of handle or give pregnant women more of a characteristic than just hey she's pregnant like it this is not the final time that that will happen also the children we don't see them not too much but we'll get there when we get there for right now they're just incubating them what do you think of brian in this movie oh you mean charming mcsteroids that was not brian i don't know who that was but paul walker doubled in size he got bigger i didn't notice Oh, he got okay. much bigger and got real sexy hair, then kind of that stood around like yeah. a sexy lamppost. He might have been the first. Brian? Yeah, he was just sort of a. Yeah, he was just kind of there. He didn't really do much to contribute to the plot. This was That's... Dom's movie for sure. That's a really interesting point that I hadn't thought of. Brian is the passenger in this film. Bam, I did it. Good night. It's a question we've had, like, whose franchise is this? Whose story is this? Because I, I do think that the audience, like, Especially after Paul dies, it is firmly Vin's franchise. But I think, for the most part, we're supposed to be seeing this through Brian's eyes, living it in his we shoes. Kind of follow him. But this this definitely feels like, and like we talked about it last episode, Dom is a big Dungeons and Dragons fan. He always talks that he approaches the movies kind of like that. And this feels like the first one where he like levels everyone up. He's growing their characters. He's building a like a team to go into battle together. So this feels like the first one that he really took like some control and was like, this is where we're going with the story. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. For speed. Oh, wow. Yeah, for speed. Yeah. I think that's basically... Oh, I guess... And also, I guess we should talk about... I mean, we talked about Hobbes, but he's really the only other kind of main character, right? Like, what do you think of The Rock as... But he is now... a major part of this franchise as i'm sure you gather even if you don't know what's coming you know, like you don't add a dwayne the rock johnson to your movie and then have him go away so what did you think of him his character his personality any of that i thought he was a really stoic character that had some really choice moments i liked a lot of what he brought to the table but he is basically big male letty yeah that's just, a good point i never thought about that with badge big instead of badge like it's just a little trade-off 
Yeah. We've talked before about how Roman evolves and a handful of characters evolve, but I feel like no one really evolves more in the franchise than Hobbs. Between five and when he gets his own spin-off movie, he is not a wildly different character, but he is much more layered and complex and maybe not actually a complex character, but there's a lot more going on with him than there is in this movie. As long as you kind of like the foundation of what they're laying for him, I think that you will enjoy the journey that we go on with Luke Hobbs. Yeah, he's fun. I think so too. And I'm really excited to meet problematic, sexy McBaldshaw. I really am mm. very also attracted to him. These movies are just so full of hot big dudes. Like <laughs> They really are. It's just like a giant Calvin Klein underwear model off. Like I'm just surprised that Mark Wahlberg hasn't shown up to like drop trow. Like we try yeah, Marky Mark was somebody that I that I wanted to add and I had some theories on how we could add him in. I don't think we talked about this, but do you know that they originally wanted Timothy Oliphant in the Dom role? That's really hot, but I don't like it. Like, I love Timothy Oliphant, but give him a different car movie. Well, he had gone in 60 Seconds, and I think which is why they wanted him. I mean, he's not the star of it, but he's the main cop in that. And I think I'm going to say that again. Give him a different car movie. Ooh, give him Passenger <laughs> 57. Where are you? He could do that. But I mean, I, I do like his trajectory of just like being the lead of kind of like criminally underrated or criminally underseen shows like Justified should be seen by more people. Santa Clarita Diet. Loved it. Everybody loves that show. Yeah. Yo, Better Off Ted is one of the most perfect sitcoms ever made. So if you love Santa Clarita Diet, you will probably love the sitcom that Victor Fresco did about 10 years earlier. I watched like, I think half of season one of that, but I did not go further i should go back to that are there any other thoughts that you guys have i see that nico is sending me tweets for the game and they go in order the first one is kevo the second one is me especially when you see who the second one is i worked hard to find that one any other thoughts about this i have one more note that i want to share but any other thoughts about fast five before we play a couple games you know it's it's really popular in pop culture to poke fun at franchises like this which just keep on going and churning out more but knowing that this was a film that was basically 10 years in the making and i think it was a really cool culmination of the ones that came before it and it makes me really happy for the people who love this franchise more than me that they got to have something like this because not everyone does and I think it all came together pretty well. Do you think it's weird that this was the first one of these that I saw? Not remotely. This is the beginning of an unrelated franchise. Does it feel like that already? Yes. It's almost like the first three were Star Trek the original series. Then the fourth one was Star Trek the movie and this is Star Trek The Next Generation. It's just okay. like not remotely even like it's I said to Kevo during this movie, I think the other movies should apologize to this movie for sucking before it. Really? Okay, so you're on board now with this, with this change, this tonal shift that we have. I mean, I've always been the one on board. This guy's the one who's been had to <laughs> one over. We make a firm stance and a firm change here that like five is where they become action movies, right? Like there's a definitive four, line yeah, four that they're is like the pivot point that like basically out with the old in with the new it, it develops the aesthetic if not the tone it develops maybe the tone or the aesthetic but not necessarily the genre but this is the first full-blown we're a different kind of movie now this is firmly justin lynn's franchise even though this is his third movie it's like this is you know this is his thing now is if you if you like this one 
this is where they go from here. Yeah. So yeah. they get more of this. I guess we'll see. The last note that I wanted to share is that we were talking before, Nico, you are talking about the two times that you cried or welled up or almost cried or whatever. They're both Dom-related. Two things that I'd never cried about before. I got emotional at a new point. Um, so previously, I have cried when they crack open the safe because I'm like, oh boy, our team did it. I have cried when Mia tells Brian and Dom together that she is pregnant at that waterfall. Uh, today, though, I cried you mean the when... the sewers? That's not a waterfall. Yeah, that's, that's a not a waterfall, buddy. Sorry. I'm, I'm clamorizing it in my head. Let me have it. Okay. Okay, take it. Flossy, flossy. You have the flossy force. Today, though, I got emotional when Brian rubs Mia's belly. Roman oh. keeps trying to put the beer in her hand. He's like, he can't, she can't, she can't. And then he just, like, rubs her... I'm just like, oh, boy. Like, that's just... It's such a sweet little thing... And uh, that's what did it for me this time. Three different times in this movie. Not a movie to make you cry, but three different points in this movie have made me cry. So uh, that's weird. Congrats. I, I No, I welled up this time. I welled up near the end. I got a little emotional, near like very near the end. And I was like, oh, yeah. I, just, it, I was feeling it today for sure. I was with you. It's quarantine right. emotional viral. It's like... You just like you're the more you can't leave the house, the more you're just like, I don't understand outside now. <laughs> yeah, basically, I, I, I pretty much yeah, incubating my own feelings, right? Kevo, any other thoughts? Or do you want to play a couple games? I mean, I know that you hate games, but do you want to move on to the next segment? Go for it. First up, this ain't no 10 second race, a.k.a. Boy Do We, have a podcast for you. So Joe's wife, Rachel, has been playing this game with lots of people on Twitter. Um, she's yeah, been having she's been wild success. It, did she find yeah. one? Did she want to find one now or she want to send one now? Or Because we, we were saying that she should play along with us. We said that, but I mean, she's cool with just... Just doing it. I mean, okay. I, I, I'm just going to call her the ultimate winner in my eyes. That's just what I have to deal with, so... Okay, yeah. I appreciate that. So, okay, so let us review last episode's tweets before I find one and read Kevo's and Nico's. And Joe, you send me one. But first up, I found Grant Parker at Grant P Design, who put out a three-tweet thread about, I have officially seen every bit of canonical Fast and Furious content. Here it is in chronological order. Boy, do we have a podcast for you. Podcast for you. And he liked it. I get one point. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you so much. Joe, I'm up, to, I'm up to 23 and a half. I'm only one and a half behind you, so I'm I'm inching up. Okay. Don't tell me you're going to let me win because I'm my uh, your sister who I'm in a relationship with is pregnant and we're doing a million dollar quarter mile. <laughs> this metaphor got very messy very fast. Joe, you found Ashley Lynch says Black Lives Matter at Ashley Lynch. I'm not saying Endgame should have a Thanos musical number, but come on, boy, do we have a podcast for you. For you. Nothing. Mm. Nico, you found three different tweets. You sent one for yourself. One for Kevo, and one for, I wrote down, both slash neither. First up, you found Kale Smith in Movies We Grow is now live at Movie Kale on Twitter, who did a whole thing about Hobbs and Shaw, and then did a tweet, Justice for Giselle, Justice for Letty, Justice for Mia, on top of Justice for Han. Boy, do we, do we have a podcast, podcast for, you. for you. And Kale Smith liked the tweet. Nico, you get a point. There you go. Have I scored every week between this and the car game now? Probably. It sounds like it. Yeah. If you're counting Reminds me of high games, school. Yes. What? You're up to 19 yeah. points in this game, though, Kevo. You are, or Nico, you oh, are... fuck. That's a ton, actually. Yeah, you are in third place, firmly in third place, even more in third place than you were. But okay. Then Kevo found Molly Kenny at Molly underscore Kules. Letty gets an off-screen death in hashtag Fast and Furious 4. She deserves better. Hashtag Justice for Letty. Boy, do we... We... Have a podcast, podcast for you. For you. Nothing. Mm. And then the other tweet, the third tweet, was Dana at Mundana, 
There needs to be an at Mrod official Fast and Furious solo spinoff soon. Hashtag justice for Letty. Boy, do we, we have a podcast, podcast for you. For you. Nothing. In summation, I get one point. Nico gets one point. We inch ever further toward a game that never ends. Never ends. Never ever. So now. All right. So the first one, Nico, is for Kevo. And so the second one is for you. Oh, and when you see who the second one is from, you'll understand. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Kevo's is from Caster Troy, which is a face-off reference. Also, you know, Caster and Pollock's just Gemini, right? But Caster Troy is a character in, I think, Nicolas Cage's character in Face Off. Quote tweeting, someone saying, here's the thing people got to admit, we like some of this terrible shit. They ain't making sequels if we ain't spending the loot. Caster Troy says, quote, why do they keep making Transformers movies? Then, quote, why do they keep making Fast and Furious movies? Boy, do, Boy we do we have a podcast, have a podcast for you. Although you I nailed it. I guess. Is he saying that he loves them or he doesn't love them? I'm not sure how this shakes out. I think he's saying because that he begrudgingly gives money. them his money. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Okay. That's what it reads like to me. Because he's like, if we if they don't make money and we don't keep buying them, then they wouldn't keep making them. So he's like, yep, that's why they keep making them. Nico found Rob Liefeld at Rob Liefeld on Twitter. Best-selling author, creator of Deadpool, Cable, X-Force, Domino, Major mm. X, Profit, Brigade. Obviously, you can see why he picked him. All the way back from yes. May 2017, Stuff critics hate that I love slash like Fast and Furious 8, Transformers films, True Detective Season 2, shout out Rachel McAdams, hell yeah, Prometheus, hashtag like what you like, boy do we We have have a podcast podcast for for you. And we've mentioned Alien and Prometheus like five times in the past two weeks. That's the neat I mention Alien every couple of minutes, so that sounds pretty in line. I'm standing in front of my Alien toy shrine uh, for my birthday this year. Kevo and Jonah were incredible and got me the complete line of 40th collectibles created Ooh, by created like by Lennard Toys. It's they're really amazing and I also got a couple of special edition Xenomorphs and a Ripley at NYCC this year. It's been a really good year for Alien and now that Marvel <laughs> has the license and they've announced that Marvel in order to help grow the alien brand is going to be taking like the best of alien and picking what is canon and they're doing like a star wars expanded universe of alien through a line of alien omnibus books that will be beginning in april of 2021 from marvel omnibus so that's definitely something i am quite a twitter about that's awesome very very cool i'm stoked for you buddy that sounds good yeah it's like kind of like exactly the dream you know what i mean like disney now owns alien and put it at marvel what i found oh boy oh this is I found a great one. Um, Joe, did you, you find one yet or not yet? Yeah, I can go. Go for it. I sent mine in the in the Discord chat. Kat McLeod, her tweet is, took a break from Fast and Furious to cook another meal for the next few days. Lasagna rolls. And she posted a bunch of pictures of lasagna rolls that she made. Boy, do we have a podcast for you. From that's all we talk quarantine. about. Wait, yeah? are you telling me in that photo there's food all over the place? There's literally lasagna rolls all over the place. There is. And Rachel made lasagna rolls in quarantine a couple weeks ago, too. So I'm like, if you're making lasagna rolls, you got to listen to something, right? You should listen to us. <laughs> oh, damn. I found a tweet that Rachel already got to. Oh, she beat you. But I'm going to go back to the original. So, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. You can't do that. I don't know if no, you no, can no, do No, 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 no. It's a different it's a different account altogether. I promise you. I'm not going to go the same person twice. You'll see what I mean. So okay. Rachel found this person on Twitter, Magnaca Impuso Mo at Indie Bobindi. You cannot okay. say that in front of a woman. <laughs> hey man. 
And he quote tweeted a thing, which I'm going to go back to, unless Rachel already did it. But he says, and I'll talk about that next, and then somebody responds, and then he responds, straight in love with Letty from day one, Michelle Rodriguez in general, honestly. And then Rachel said, boy, do we have a podcast for you. Our current lamp is focusing on all things Michelle Rodriguez. And then put this link in. So what, what he originally found was this tweet. This was the original tweet, quote tweeted, from Kehlani D, at Kehlani D, where my love for bad bitches came from. It's a picture of Ooh. Suki, a picture of Letty, a picture of Neela, yeah. and a picture of Mia. It's got 8,200 retweets and comments, so I don't think this is going to get seen. But boy, do we, boy, do we have, a podcast have a podcast for, for you. you. I can relate to this. This content is relatable content. Yeah, I also Because I, yeah. I, I originally what I did was I Googled or I Twittered Michelle Rodriguez Letty, and I found a couple different things, right? Which I'm sure that Rachel's also Rachel done. already beat you to that, yeah. The top one in terms of top was just... Q4, true or false? Michelle Rodriguez plays Letty Ortiz in the series. Answer now in the Ultimate Furious quiz. It's like, cool, okay. Thank goodness that that person made such a hard-hitting question. I, wow. What? Oh. Okay. Uh. Did you know that the X-Men are fictional? What? Final game we have to play is Dude, What's My Car? You guys have been playing along with Joe, guessing each time. Nico, you co I need Nico time. on my team at this point. You need me. Yeah, no, okay. I am, that's, that's my bro. Thank you. This is my, uh, you know, I'm ride or die. Remember? I don't mean to do this too on your own show, but yo, this man's my letty, and I gotta... That's perfect. <laughs> I gotta be dumb, bro, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. No, none taken. You're fine, bro. Okay. So I'm going to go to, I don't think we've done a Hector one in a little while. I'm going to go to Hector from June 18th, subject line, magazine car pick. So Hector says, hey, Joey's, here's another car pick for y'all. I like reading car magazines like Super Street because it shows different people in different places sharing the same love for cars. This car here was built by the owner. I'm not going to say the name just in case you know it. To cope with the loss of his adopted parents. Okay. This car is the result. It's one of the nicest looking examples of this car, especially when younger kids are getting their grubby hands on them. Gotta go. Stay fast. Stay furious. That's a little hint. Okay. Hmm. So, okay. Okay. This magazine is from... Well, there's no date. Hold on. Maybe I gotta open this up. Hold on. Oh, he sends a lot of pictures. Okay. Shout out Hector for all this information. By the way, the uh, Gmail autocomplete or auto replies for this are very nice, love it, and very cool. So Gmail's a fan, <laughs> fan of these. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Um, oh, fuck, hold on. Hold on. So this magazine, for reference, is from Jan- oh, January 2020. It's a new one. Okay. Yeah. Barcode on the magazine, 0790253481176, if that helps. It does. I know exactly what it magazine is. Magazine is called is called Super Street, and there's neon yeah. art, state of the art. So this is a Japanese car. It is white. The version that we're looking at is a hatchback. Okay. Um, Two-door. Kind of has like a little bit of a tail in the back. Like a, I've a got top. it. It's a Miyazaki. This is the Miyazaki Totoro. I would love for nothing more for you to just be guessing Studio Ghibli movies and have that be the answer, but I am, unfortunately you are not correct in this in this regard. Ugh. Okay, I will accept that in this one instance. But keep guessing, please. Once. There's there's a very easy clue that I could give that would give a, give it away that I'm not going to yet. Okay. 
the sort of the spoiler, what I was calling the tail, the spoiler at the top of the car, the brake light is under that. So the brake light is okay. at the top, like the, the rear, the sort of center brake light is at the top of the rear windshield. The rear brake lights are both rectangular in shape. It's a Motorola Razor. You're getting warmer. <laughs> On the cover, the hood is off, so you can see that. It's okay. it's very difficult. I don't know what kind of hints to give about this. Is it newer or older? I mean, it's called state of the question. art, and it's. I would say okay. So it's a very common. Oh, okay. Actually, the year is in this. So the the car that I'm looking at is a 1989 version. Okay. From Santa Clara, California, but it's a car that's still made today. I know that. Is yeah. it a Toyota? No. Is it a Nissan? No. Is it a Honda? Yes. Is it? A Civic with a hatch? Yes, but it's a it's a special kind of Civic, and I don't know what this. An is. SI. Nope. Civic D. What was the numbers DX for Civic? Nope. That was the Toyota ones. What were the what's the hatch thing for the Civic? I don't know. It's just oh, it's it's not really it's not as exciting as I thought. It just it's a fourth generation. So they had the EC, the ED, the EE, and the EF. This is a Honda EF Civic or Honda Civic EF. Let me just say how proud I am that they were able to talk about their ED so publicly. Right? (laughs) Yeah. You can order the pills from on on the mail now. Yeah, but not back in 1989. This was well before Roman Pierce. Get RomanPierce.com. This is a really, actually, this is a really cool Civic. Right? Yeah, this is fucking cool. Yeah. This is a really awesome case of Bolsheviks. (laughs) I like this little, uh, he he just has the back wheels flared for you, Joey. Do you see that? Oh, I did not. Let me let me take another look. I can only see one one. You don't see one tire though. Yeah, I mean, but you don't do one. Not you do both. I would love it if it only had one tire. Yeah. Just as one. Yeah, it's on cinder blocks, but just one tire. Yeah, that's it. The rest cool. of them got stolen. He was in Santa Clara. Just well, Nico, Kevo, thank you both so much for joining thank us you. once again. So next episode, we're going to do Fast and Furious Six, but very important, and I will remind you this: do not watch the credit scene because we have to Tokyo drift it. Correct. So then yes. the episode after that, we will watch Tokyo Drift and the credit scene from Six. But next episode, we are only... So I was saying that, like, we you had, you know, Too Fast and Turbocharged Prelude. Then we had Fast and Furious 4 and Los Bondoleros. This, easy assignment, just Fast 5. But then next episode and the episode after that, it's like, oh, there's a little bit of weirdness here and there, whatever. Fast and Furious 6 next time, no credit scene. Keep in mind. Is there anything you guys would like to plug... Today, this episode comes out on Tuesday. We just want to keep plugging our brand. You should check us out over on HTML, X is for Podcast, as well as our awesome comic book, Kid Riot. HTML, where we're currently covering the Fantastic Four, X is for Podcast, where every week we're giving you all of the X books, full reviews with a rotating roundtable of guests from all over the X podcast and X Twitter universe, seeing a lot of awesome, talented artists come through. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Kevo, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. We got an email from one of our listeners that said that they've started listening to your show because they love you guys so much. Oh, thank you guys so much. We fucking love everybody on this. This has been such a great time. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could uh, cross over synergize, as it were, and make things happen. Yeah. But for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, and HTML, and Access for Podcast, and all 27 shows on the network, Go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash too fast too forever, or at too fast too forever on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page yep. at too fast too forever.com. Get exclusive access to things, swag and merchandise, and pick movies 
for us to watch and talk about on the sure. show. Come back next time for Girl Fight, the Karin Kusama movie from 2000 starring Ms. Michelle Rodriguez. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe too. That was Nico Basillo and Kevo Reese of Husbands Talking More or Less, and we'll tell you all about it. We'll see you again.